Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Sunday morning. Plenty to get to in the next few hours here. Uh, we'll get to the Phillies later on. Uh, some of the comments Joe Girardi made this week. Bryce Harper as well um, as he arrived in Clearwater. And spring training really getting uh, underway. I believe there's a game today on this on the air. Right, Dan? So we're not on the air. Okay. They open in Lakeland against the Tigers today. The, okay. The on-the-air TV and radio opening day will be on Monday. Monday, correct. That That's right. And, yeah, Monday at 1, uh, the Phillies take on the Orioles, I believe. So uh, you can hear that right here on WIP, obviously. Uh, so the Phils get underway this week down in Clearwater uh, with about a month until the regular season uh, begins with, it appears... Some fans in attendance, so we'll talk about that a little later on and, you know, how excited you are or or not that excited to go to games. You know, I I think um, there are obviously opinions that uh, are different across the board in regards to people and whether they are comfortable doing so, Uh, but we'll get into that uh, a little later on. Some of the things that Bryce Harper had to say and the Phil's chances – for 2021, and if you want to, you know, get in uh, on the Phillies, you're you're welcome to. With spring training officially underway and the games beginning on uh, Sunday and Monday, so we'll get to that a little later on. We'll get to the Eagles and some uh, roster breakdown stuff. Is uh, we want to do some uh, stay or go, like what positionally, um, which guys should remain in Philadelphia next year, and which guys should be on the move. And it's 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 different this year because you look at the roster and the focus isn't necessarily on winning in 2021. I I mean, I I don't think they are going into the season intentionally trying to lose, but um, the focus is certainly on 2022 and it can potentially uh, be beneficial to the team moving forward to shed uh, some of the salary of some of the veteran players on this team. So, We'll get into that uh, a little later on. Several things that I want to touch on. But we will uh, begin with the Sixers as they suffer a very disappointing loss at the Wells Fargo Center to the Cleveland Cavaliers on Saturday night. And, you know, you look at this game, no Tobias Harris, but that's a loss that, that just can't happen. 
I, I mean, it, you can't lose to that kind of a team, a team that is clearly inferior. Yeah, they have some nice young guards, Sexton, Garland, those guys. I, I like their potential, but that is a team that you should beat no matter who you put out there. Like, I don't care if between Harris, Simmons, and Bede, if you're missing two of your stars, you shouldn't have any problems with that team. And this is the second time this year that they have lost to the Cavaliers. And just a lifeless performance. I mean, it's not the end of the world. It's not completely unexpected. This does happen in the NBA, uh, especially with where the Sixers are in their schedule leading up to the All-Star break. You get a, a big win in a national TV game against Dallas the other night. You've got two pretty high-profile, important games this week leading up to the break where you got Indiana, who Indiana's a pretty good team. I, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if they're a, a finals contender. Um, obviously don't have that star power, but when they get healthy with Levert and, um, you know, some of the other guys they got on that team – uh, they are uh, going to be a top five, six team in the East. So you got that game Monday, and then you got uh, the big rematch with Utah on Wednesday uh, from the game a couple weeks ago where Joel B. missed Ben Simmons scored 42. So this was, you know, as you'll call it many times, a trap game. And that was – I think in the end what happened, the Sixers went out, they felt like they could sleepwalk and win this game. They still almost did Uh, tied at 92 in the final 30 seconds to get a stop. Joel Embiid uh, can't hit the final jumper to end the game in regulation. Overtime was, was pretty much a disaster for the Sixers. Um, But 42 for Embiid is ultimately not enough to beat a bad Cavalier team. And that is something to worry about the loss in itself again not something all that concerning good teams in the NBA have nights where they don't show up is it okay is it something you completely overlook no but it is something that happens and I don't think it's something that you should totally go nuts and freak out about that being said when Joel Embiid goes for 42 and you still cannot win that game. That is a concern. And we have discussed at length over the last, what, five, six weeks since the trade actually happened, whether the Sixers should have made a stronger play for James Harden. I thought James Harden was going to end up as a 76er. Um, I think many of us did. When... You read the tea leaves, the soul of the rumors surrounding uh, Harden with Ben Simmons, the Daryl Morey connection. I thought that was bound to happen. In the end, Brooklyn ends up making a strong offer with draft picks, and Houston really selected future draft picks over Ben Simmons. That's essentially what happened in that deal. And Harden's gone to Brooklyn, and he has been great so far this year. There's really no doubt about it. I mean, I think you got to look at him as being firmly in the MVP conversation at this point. Now, Brooklyn loses on Saturday night as well. They get pretty much blown out by Dallas at home. Uh, No Kyrie Irving for them, no Kevin Durant for them. But 
James Harden has certainly elevated them to a point where you got to take Brooklyn very seriously as being, if not the favorite, one of the favorites in the Eastern Conference. And all the stuff about him personality-wise, all those concerns have gone away once he got traded, and that's exactly what I expected. Like, uh, I think if you were one of the people that was extremely concerned um, like our guy Adrian, big basketball guy, and Adrian's like, I'm not, I don't want James Harden. You know, look at what he's doing in Houston, locker room cancer, all that stuff. It's like, no, he's trying to get out of Houston. This is what guys do. It's not right. But, you know, if you know what the strategy is in these types of situations, you would know that James Harden was doing that for a reason, that he's going to go to Brooklyn. He was going to be on his best behavior, which he has been, and he was going to be the James Harden that we have seen on the floor over the last couple of years. A top-notch scorer and a guy who can elevate your team offensively to another level. That being said, I was okay not making the move. You know, I said I would have, but I was okay with the decision not to because of what Ben Simmons can be, his potential, what he does on both ends of the floor – because that would have been very hard to replace. Like, Ben Simmons is not a bum, as some people want to make him out to be. He does things that are very valuable. He is one of the most complete players in the league. People point to the jump shot. I personally don't view that as all that important. By the way, Ben Simmons did make a three in this game at at the very end of the game, which was actually kind of frustrating to see. But what he does on both ends is very valuable. And ultimately, I think that's why the Sixers did not make that move for James Harden is because they did not want to give up on Ben Simmons too early. But you watch a game like this, and it does frighten you as far as the Sixers' playoff chances. And if you want to get in, we got to open line, start the show, 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494 uh, is how you uh, you can get in. It, But it scares you that Joel Embiid can give you that kind of effort against a bad team, and you can still come up short. And it just illustrates what I think we all already know. That while this team is a contender in the East, I firmly believe that, that the 76ers have a unique opportunity this season to go to the NBA Finals, I mean, go to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time in 20 years. But they are not going to be able to do that as currently constituted. Like, that is pretty obvious at this point. That while Joel Embiid is having a great season, Ben Simmons is having another tremendous season which he's improved even further Tobias Harris has elevated his game to another level that this team is still not good enough to beat a team like Brooklyn in a seven game series that they still may not be good enough to beat a team like Milwaukee or a team like Miami that is coming on And improvements must be made over the next few weeks here. And that's the question I have to you to start the show 
this morning is what do the Sixers need to do to truly put themselves in a position to go to the finals? Because the the window of opportunity is there. The core is there. I don't think this team needs a complete overhaul. You know, if you do, I would love uh, to get your, your take on it. I don't think this is a situation where you need to blow it up, trade Ben Simmons. But they need significant improvements. And what I really look at, as I told Matt during the crossover, is I either want a big-time scorer or go the route of drastically improving this bench. I prefer the big-time scorer because just you get to the playoffs, your bench isn't going to play as many minutes. So, you know, when you see Mike Scott on the floor or, uh, you know, Furkan Korkmaz, you're probably not going to see those guys as much in the postseason. But you do need quality minutes out of your bench. I mean, you look at that series against Toronto from a few years ago, the Sixers lost that series because they did not have a legitimate backup to Joel Embiid. I mean, you look at the numbers in that series. People point to Ben Simmons not shooting. That's not why the Sixers lost. Sixers lost because they were like a, a minus, uh, the, the plus-minus numbers when Embiid was off the floor were astonishingly bad. And, you know, the couple minutes a game that Greg Monroe would play ultimately lost the Sixers an entire series. And right now, how many guys on that bench can you rely on? Shake Milton, and I think that's even iffy. You know, Seth Curry had an awful night in this game, but I don't think that's something that that will be the case on a night-to-night basis. So what I'm looking at is either go after a big-time score, go after a Zach Levine. That's the name I keep mentioning. Now, I don't know if Chicago would trade him or not. But what I know about Chicago is that they are a fringe playoff team, like they always are, with very little in terms of a future. Like, they can re-sign Zach Levine to a long-term deal, and I'm assuming that is their plan once his contract is up at the end of next season. But you look at the assets they have, which, not many. um, Even with Zach Levine, that team is not going to compete. So I would go to them. I'd offer Maxi. Uh, I'd offer, you know, Thibel if you have to, which he's an endlessly frustrating player uh, for, you know, Matisse Thibel not improving his offensive game at all over the offseason is just inexcusable. A good defensive player can be a dumb defensive player at times, but gives you nothing offensively. And he's another guy that, for that reason, makes very difficult to trust come playoff time. But I'm either going to get a guy like that or I'm drastically improving the bench. But this is why you got Daryl Morey. And this is where Daryl Morey must show his value. Is I, I was elated when the news came out back in October that the Sixers were hiring Daryl Morey as the next team president. This is where he needs to show his value. He must improve this team. Because you cannot waste this kind of season. You cannot waste this kind of season from Joel Embiid, who... We know the nature of his body. We don't know how long he's going to hold up. We don't know if after the 2022-2023 season, if Joel Embiid will stay in Philadelphia. Like, I believe he loves the city, but I ultimately think he wants to win. And if this team still can't get out of the Eastern Conference, yeah, I'd expect Joel Embiid might leave and go to a place 
where he can win, especially if he thinks the organization isn't doing the most to maximize this window. It's not about the future anymore. And this is something I think we all need to realize, is you can't worry about the future. And that's why I'm not worried about trading a guy like Tyrese Maxey. As much as I think he is going to be a very good player, he's not a a, a player that's going to be in the rotation this year in the playoffs. Tyrese Maxey's not going to be playing big minutes in a playoff game. He's not ready for that. And if you can move him, and he's the name I continue mentioning because he's the name of the most, he's, he's the guy of the most value outside of Ben Simmons that you have because I don't think Sixers are trading Ben Simmons. That you can get something back for. And it's all about this season. It's all about next season. The Sixers must maximize this window and it's incumbent on Daryl Morey to do so. So that's where I want to start the show this morning. What do the Sixers need to do over the next month? Who would you target? Uh, Any ideas you have for trades? I'd love to hear from you. And what is a bigger priority? Upgrading the bench? We're getting a big name to add to this starting lineup. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Let's get it started with Greg in the Northeast. What's up, Greg? Hey, Tom. How are you this evening? Not bad. What's going this on? Morning. Hey, listen, I li- you've made so many valid points about the Sixers that I think uh, about all the time, uh, especially when it comes to not only their bench, but one of the things I, I think, Tom, that you need to look at is that the Sixers do not have a playmaking guard that can penetrate the lane, uh, create plays for their big man, and also shoot the jumper. Um, along with their bench. I think Seth Curry and Danny Green just doesn't cut it because they're both far streaky players. There's a reason why Dallas traded Seth Curry to the Sixers. Um, you know, he plays no defense, and uh, his jump shot while it's good, but he's more or less a, a bench player. Yeah, well, definitely... I'll say this, Greg. I, I mean, I do think the Sixers won that trade. I mean, I don't think Josh Richardson's anything special. Well, how did they win the trade? I mean, Seth Curry's averaging, what, 12 points, 13 points, comparable to what Josh Richardson averaged last year with us. It's not a yeah, but really Seth, major Seth Curry, Seth Curry's a, a better fit for the Sixers. At least he can shoot. I mean, what does is, what is Josh Richardson really do well? Well, he plays he plays pretty good defense. But my, my point is that I think that we need to upgrade that position. Uh, whether you do it, like you said, with a major trade with a Zach Levine, if you can acquire Zach Levine, or if you can maybe upgrade the bench with maybe a P.J. Tucker and a J.J. Reddick. Can they, can they do that? Can they uh, pick up two bench players, let's say? Yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're viable options, Greg. I think Tucker's an interesting name because obviously the connection to Daryl Morey um, and Houston is, is clearly a team that's not competing. Uh, you know, I like J.J. Reddick. I, just, I think he's kind of too much of a duplicate of Seth Curry, so I'm not sure. You know, I, I, I get the need for shooting, and if you can get him cheap, I, I take him. But I do, do agree they, they certainly need to upgrade uh, the Danny Green spot. And if you could upgrade Seth Seth Curry too and bring him off the bench, I mean that would obviously well, be big. And here's another player I want you uh, to uh, two more players before I go that, that I think may be uh, attainable. One is uh, uh, Rondo from the Atlanta Hawks. He's a veteran playmaking guard that you may not have to pay a lot for uh, to obtain. I think he's a good fit. He won a championship last year and it was an integral part with the Lakers. And the other player that I was thinking about is more like a stretch for maybe someone like a, maybe a Rudy Gay. 
someone like that, maybe that, that they may be able to get obtained. Yeah, no, I hear you, Greg, and I appreciate the call. I mean, they're interesting names. I mean, that that's the thing. It, it's it's not there aren't a ton of difference making guys out there. It's really about strengthening, and and I would I would love to upgrade. Uh, you know the the two and three spots where you can move Seth Curry to the bench, bring him off the bench. I think he'd be more effective there. And same with Danny Green. Um, but the Sixers, as currently constituted, they are not they're not good enough right now. I think that's that's what this first half of the, of the season was about was finding out if you are good enough and what you need. And it's clear that they are, well, they're first in the East, and that's great, and I do think the core in place is good enough. They are not a complete team right now, and if they got in a seven-game series with Brooklyn, I do not think they would win that series. Um, They got in a seven-game series with Miami. I kind of don't think the Sixers would win that series. You know, everybody else, I think they match up decently with Milwaukee. Um, I, I Boston this year does not really scare me as much. Uh, but this is a team that certainly needs to be upgraded. And the question I have is, do you go for a really big swing? And would you consider trading Ben Simmons? Like, if you could get a Bradley Beal, you know, I certainly think you'd, you'd have to consider it. Um, I don't think the Sixers are going to trade Simmons. I think if they were going to trade Ben Simmons, they would have just done the Harden deal uh, a few weeks ago. But does this team need to bring in an, a, a, a huge name, you know, and by huge, I'll say a, a Zach Levine, you know, kind of level. So maybe not huge, but a big name scorer or upgrade the bench. Which route would you go if you were Daryl Morey? 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. When we get back, I do want to address the Kyle Lowry rumors because that's the name that's been swirling in regards to the Sixers. Uh, so we'll talk about that next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Sunday morning. Open lines if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Starting the show off here talking about the Sixers as a a difficult loss on Saturday night to Cleveland and a disappointing one. Now, I am not going to overreact over this. I don't think it's that big a deal. I think, you know, Good teams lose games they shouldn't lose in the NBA. And that doesn't mean it's excusable, but it does happen. And um, it's a long season. This kind of thing is going to happen from time to time. But I worry about the bigger picture and the fact that Joel Embiid can score 40-plus and you still lose. And this team not having enough offense at this point. And, you know, I mentioned that Zach Levine, but the name that really – continues to come up in trade rumors uh, as far as big, big names that you could get is Bradley Beal. And, you know, there are a number of teams that are extremely interested in him. Miami, uh, Golden State is another one that I'm seeing uh, could look into Bradley Beal if they could pair him with Steph Curry. And, and obviously that would set them up nicely 
uh, for next year when Clay Thompson returns as well. And that's the name that I would, I mean, I would absolutely love the Sixers to get him, but I don't know if you're getting him without Ben Simmons. Now, Ben Simmons has had a, a I think, a very good year um, on both ends of the floor. But would you be willing to trade Ben Simmons if you could get a Bradley Beal? Um, and it, it's a really tough one for me uh, because I am a big fan of Ben Simmons, but I probably would. I probably would because the window is now. And if that's what it costs, and, you know, I misevaluated the James Harden thing. I thought the Sixers were in the driver's seat because I thought Ben Simmons was the best asset that Brooklyn could get. And I thought ultimately if he was being offered, Brooklyn would take that deal. Or, I mean, uh, uh, Houston would take that deal. Ultimately, Houston opted for the picks that Brooklyn offered instead. Now, the Bradley Beal situation, I, I, I do think Ben Simmons would be more valuable. Washington's a team that I don't know if they would go into a full rebuilding uh, type type mode um, and they would not get a better player in return uh, than Ben Simmons. I guess, you know, Golden State would offer uh, James Wiseman type, which, you know, I don't know how good he's going to be. Um, Miami, you know, you're looking at maybe Tyler Hero. I mean, that's that's one that you could put in the same kind of category. Um, but would you trade Ben Simmons at the deadline? That's something else uh, that we can throw in there as well. 215-592-9494. Let's go to John in Germantown. What's up, John? Hey, what's going on, man? What's up? Uh, the Sixers got to be depressed. You know why? Because I just don't see us getting far in the playoffs because we're just not consistent. You understand what I'm saying? Like, Curry has been real disappointing this year. I, I don't know why. Like, he's a shooter, but he's just not consistent. Yeah, I, I mean, shooters are going to have those – yeah, shooters are going to have bad nights, John. I don't know. I mean, I, I've been fine with Seth Curry this year. I thought he obviously had a bad game on Saturday night. I think he was affected by missing time with COVID. Uh, but, you know, I, th- I think Seth Curry's been a nice addition, and I think he'll help the team going down the stretch. I mean – Green, Curry, and Corkmines all score under 10 points tonight. They're just horrible. And that's too many nights that we can't rely on these guys. And I don't know what to do about it because I know when we get to the playoff, we're going to have to rely on them, and I know they're going to be inconsistent. Yeah, no, that's so – I, I don't see us getting far because of them. Well, well, John, that's what I'm saying. You know, the Daryl Morey's got to do something. What would you What would you want the Sixers to do? Do you want them to bolster the bench – or do you want them to try to go all out for a, a Bradley Beal type, even if that includes now, trading Ben Simmons? Washington is on the winning streak. And I keep, I want them to lose because if they would have lost, they would have probably traded. But now they think they can get to the playoffs. They might not trade Bradley Beal. Maybe. You I mean, know, they're, so. 13, they're 13 and 18. I mean, they're still, uh, you know, out of a playoff spot as of now. And, I mean, I don't think Washington's going to make it. I mean, I would take Bradley Beal. I really would. I would give up whatever we got. I'd give up Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal. You would. Yeah, in a heartbeat. You know, I, I give up Ben Simmons for Tatum. But then I well, yeah, point I mean, guard if we get Tatum. We yeah. might not, like, we need Ben. We need a point guard if we're going to get Tatum. So that's why I'm not sure about that. You're not, getting, get? you're not getting Tatum, John. I mean, Boston's not trading <laughs> I'm Tatum. just saying, yeah. if we did, how would we run? Who who going to run the team if we don't have a point guard? No, it, so, it, 
yeah, it's concern. Yep. So I, I don't know. I just I'm disappointed because we not we the only good team that's never consistent. If you look at everybody else, everybody went on a winning streak. Even uh, Brooklyn just went on the eight game winning streak. We haven't went on one this year yet. We we got the worst record this year than we had last year. So I, I'm just confused about who are we as a team. Yeah, no, no, it's it's concerning, John. I appreciate the call, and I think they're still trying to work all, all of that out. Now, what do you think about this, Dan? Would you, Dan Wilson, uh, producing tonight? Would you trade Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal if that deal ultimately was on the table? In a heartbeat, yeah, you would, because there's a few reasons. One, could you imagine Bradley Beal being paired up with Joel Embiid? Like that makes Embiid better. We have always said that Embiid and Simmons are not a match made in heaven. Now, that, does, that doesn't mean that they don't like each other or they can't coexist. We've right. seen them have good games together. But they quite literally both had their career high in the same week with the other one off the floor, which makes sense. They're picking up the load. But Ben Simmons is like a run-and-gun, get-me-in-transition, like attack the paint and get shooters around him type of player. And likewise, when you build your team around a big man, it's kind of the same deal. And they occupy some of the same space. And again, against a team like Cleveland tonight, they're basically two of like two and a half guys who showed up. Shake Milton played okay. And that's all you get. And that's why they, and they still went to overtime with them. But that's the only reason they went to overtime is because Embiid plays out of his mind per usual, although he had actually been a little bit of a skid. Nice to see him come back. And Ben Simmons has been playing better since like the first month of the season. Mm-hmm. I have not forgotten that first month of Ben Simmons. I, this past month, obviously, is more recent, and he's improved leading up to the All-Star game. He got himself in the All-Star game. Ultimately, I think this team, Joel Embiid is the number one priority, and if you can get yourself a Bradley Beal type who is a more traditional guard to run your offense through and makes Embiid even better than he already is, if you can even imagine that, I think you have to do it. Yeah, I definitely agree that they fit better offensively, and it's why I wanted – Uh, them to ultimately make the Harden trade is because I think Harden was a better fit offensively. Now, the start for Simmons, I think you can, not to make excuses, but attribute it to a couple different things. I do think he's still coming back from the knee at that point. I mean, I personally, you know, Ben Simmons, I don't think would ever admit this. I think the trade rumors were weighing on him a a little bit, you know, and I think that's, that's understandable. Um, I would, and I, I would, I would do it too. I, I think, um, but I would worry about what it would do to the team defensively. I, I do, do worry and about. I that don't aspect. underrate Ben Simmons as a defense. Like people who think Ben Simmons is a bad player, just totally off the mark. Like right. he is a very good player and a guy who, even at the beginning of the year, was getting interest around the league. And whether Houston was really considering it or not, it helped them get a better deal from. Brooklyn Definitely. for James Harden. So they were using Ben Simmons as leverage for that, and they maybe even could have gotten more if they were making that deal, say, right now. But Harden kind of forced their hand there a little bit to do it ASAP, wasn't showing up, so they trade him. Ultimately, that's why I wanted James Harden. Besides the fact that he's one of the top players in the league, you pair him with Embiid, you make yourself an instant title contender, and if nothing else, you keep him off the Nets. Mm-hmm. Like, this is all about knocking down the Nets. The Nets were on a big winning streak, like the last caller just mentioned. They did also, by the way, I know they were out Kyrie and Durant tonight. They lost by 20 points to the right. Mavericks, who the Sixers just beat. Right. I That's think, why the, the NBA with that, you know, a night-to-night basis, it's very hard to predict. It's the regular season. This is all seeding. Uh, and you were talking about teams they might match up with. A team like Miami, 
has declined from where they were. You're, like they're the seven seed right now. Right. They could get them in the first round. And they still scare the hell out of me. And they and they don't even have an all star. Right. And Butler was injured. I get it. But so they, like, they still scare you because you know they can do it. And you know Butler in the playoffs, you'll kind of light a match in him because it'll be against the Sixers especially. But ultimately, this see I the way I'm seeing the season play out right now. If you asked me to kind of how I see this going, I think the Sixers get the Nets. It looks like the Sixers are going to get the Nets in these conference finals. I'm not convinced they could get past that star power. Yeah. And I'm not sure there's anything on the trade market that could do it, but Bradley Beal is maybe the closest thing he could. Yeah. And, you know, you look at the Simmons and Embiid pairing, and in a minute, I do want to get to some comments from Joel Embiid after the game that uh, I think could be a little, maybe a subtle shot at Ben Simmons. So we'll have that coming up in a minute. First, let's go to Eli in Germantown. What's up, Eli? What's up, Tom? How's it going? Pretty good, man. Hey, so so this whole Ben Simmons thing. Now, Tom, I'm, I, I recognize I listen to your show a lot, so I, I know you're a Ben Simmons fan. Now, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I'm a Ben Simmons attractor, but I won't say that Ben Simmons isn't a good player. But, but when we talk about all of these trades, every trade that gets discussed, ultimately, like, it, what it all really boils down to is covering up his decisions. So, as good as a defender and a passer and all of that that he is, like I said, he's a good player. But he's really not good enough. Like, he's, he's an all-star, but most all-stars and, and players on the level that most Sixers fans assume that Ben Simmons is, like, we have fans have really high expectations of him. So, like, Ben Simmons had, what, 42, one game? Like, right. he's a good player. And let's not act like there haven't been regular season games to where he's had good games before. Like, he's had good stretches in previous seasons. But it's like each season, Sixers fans, like, we, we like, try to convince ourselves that he's getting better. <laughs> well, yeah, no, he, no, Eli, he is getting better. I think that, like, that's ridiculous when you say he's not getting better. He is getting better. No, no, better. no, 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 Tom, I'm, I'm, talk, I'm talking about offensively. So, yeah, like, no, I, I I think he is getting better. When you look no, at the free listen, throw numbers, like, he's getting better. No, no, but but I'm, I'm talking about, I'm talking about offensive, like, confidence. Like, 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 all right, so when people say Ben Simmons needs a jump shot, right, it's not that he just needs a jump shot. Like, when, when we're looking for Bradley Bill, we're looking for Bradley Bill because he has an offensive game. Ben Simmons doesn't really have an offensive scorer's game. So all the players that we're trying to get is to cover up for what he can't do. No, I, I hear you, Eli, and I appreciate it, man. Thanks. I I think that is selling him short. Like, I do. And, you know, we know he doesn't shoot the three-point shot. I get that. Um I still think a bigger issue, and I, I get Eli's point that it's trying to cover up for deficiencies, but you cannot take for granted the amount of open three-point looks that he creates. I mean, you can bash the analytics and say uh, you don't care about it all you want, but analytically, it will show you Ben Simmons creates more open three-point looks for his teammates than anybody else in the league um, because – the Sixers have started to exploit the way the teams will sag off him. Okay, you bring a player behind him, he drops it off, the guy's got open threes. The problem is they still don't have enough shooting. And a lot of this goes back to the previous regime where they added Danny Green, they added Seth Curry, and they are still extremely deficient in shooting the basketball. 
Like, they are still trying to make up for just the abominably awful offseason that was the 2020 offseason. And, you know, it's frustrating that in the end that might make the Sixers trade Ben Simmons, um, but I do think you're selling him short when you say he's not getting better offensively. He is getting better offensively. He has gotten better at the free throw line. When he's making his free throws, it, it means he is more aggressive going to the basket. He needs to be more consistent, certainly. Um, but I do think, you know, that we get, we're so close to it that we do take for granted what he does and what he does well. I'm not saying that makes him untradeable. I'm not saying I wouldn't trade him for Bradley Beal. I would. But let's at the same time, you know, not get all hyperbolic with it in terms of saying he's not getting any better because he's clearly getting better. And I think one of the bigger problems is Sixers needs these guys that are going to make the open threes when they are given the opportunity. Um, Because Ben Simmons creates a lot of looks uh, for players, and, and right now, you know, b- besides Seth Curry and besides Danny Green, you don't have much three-point shooting. Uh, those guys are inconsistent, and when Seth Curry goes one for 13, uh, unfortunately, you're so reliant on him that you don't really have much of a chance. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Uh Chris, Mike, Adrian, see all you guys there. We will uh, get to you as we talk Sixers here. See, Chris wants to talk Eagles, so we'll get to the Eagles as well. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Uh, discussing the Sixers after their uh, frustrating and disappointing loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, on Saturday night. Or The Cavaliers are quickly becoming the Sixers' version of what the Marlins are for the Phillies, uh, I guess, where, you know, to a lesser extent, it's not like they're going to ruin their season like the Marlins have with the Phillies the last couple of years, but just a bad team that they struggle to beat and uh, a very frustrating game for the Sixers as they fall to Cleveland. So we've been discussing that. What does Daryl Morey need to do at the trade deadline uh, to adequately improve this team? Also, uh, if you want to get on the Eagles, you w- uh, you may, um, as we move through this offseason. And free agency sneaking up uh, quickly here. Um, and I want to talk about uh, free agency and, and who should stay or go. As I've mentioned before, I don't know how much I'll be in over the next couple weeks um, because once my wife and I have our our baby, I'm going to take uh, a little time off. So I'll, uh, I'll be open to uh, taking those uh, suggestions as well. And the draft coming up at the end of April. So a lot of stuff going on with the Eagles. Uh, if you want to get on that two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Uh Chris wants to talk a little Eagles. What's up, Chris? Hey, TK. How you doing? What's up, man? Hey, uh, uh, what do you, what are you thinking about the draft? What do you think the Eagles are going to do with the uh, sixth pick there? I mean, I think it's, I mean, it's pretty early, uh, to tell at this point, Chris, I'm not going to lie to you, though. I mean, I, I if I had to guess, um, I think they are, are focused on if they like any of these quarterbacks, I would not be surprised to see them either stay at six or move up and draft a quarterback. I honestly think that would be their preference if there's a guy they really like that they can get. Wow, yeah, I have a, I, I have a thing here. What do you, what do you think about – so we have say Ronnie McLeod comes back this year, uh-huh. and okay, say so he comes back to his normal self, uh, and we have 
Darius Slay on the corner, uh, Fletcher Cox in the D-line. What do you think about maybe drafting at six a Micah Parsons and then even in the second round another either linebacker or safety or corner to shore up the defense to make it a solid, very solid defense to catch up for the uh, offense. I mean, Tom Brady's the only offensive guy that has really done it and won the Super Bowl in the last 20 years. Them well, defenses God. have been very good. Yeah, but I mean, Chris. You... The defense, if we stack up the defense, like the defense already has solid players at every level. Now, if we reassure that in the first and second round, who knows if we can have a top three defense in the league. Look at Russell Wilson's first few years in the league as he was coming around. That defense was very good. Yeah, Chris, you look at it, though. I mean, let's let's not act like Tom Brady didn't have weapons on offense. I mean, he had three. I don't know about that, I mean, I mean, he had Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. I mean, they're, they're oh, yeah, three of the better year, receivers in the league. Yeah. Yeah, this year, yeah. I'm yeah, I mean, saying, but, he had weapons in, in New England, too. Gronk was one of the best weapons in the, in the league for years. So, I mean, I, I get your point, Chris. I just – I still believe that this is more an offensive league than not. Um, and I I, agree. I, 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 would, I would have a lot of trouble taking a linebacker over one of these top receivers that could be available. Um, Sertan, who's a, a really good corner, which I yeah. think is a more premium position. Um, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So what if we? So what if we got a Patrick Sertan, and then in the first round, and then in the second round, drafted any type, any position on the defense, defensive line, or whatever is our best, whatever is best available for the defense, we drafted that safety linebacker, whatever it was, but in the second round. Yeah, no. Dra- I- maybe the maybe the linebacker from a, from a Notre Dame drops, or or we pick, or we drop, or we jump up, or I'm yeah. saying just the first two picks or the fir- or two defensive picks. No, I got you, Chris, and I appreciate the call. I I think your first mistake is just focusing on one side of the ball, and I would say that for offense as well. I think the Eagles should go into this draft. In, in, in I will say in less quarterback. Quarterback supersedes everything, and if there's a quarterback you love, you take him. Um, and that does not exclude Trey Lance. I said the other night, I understand that the optics would not be great, but if the Eagles love Trey Lance, passing on him because he went to North Dakota State is stupid. Like, it is. If you love that guy and you think he is going to be a franchise quarterback for a decade, you don't worry about how it's going to look drafting another North Dakota State quarterback you take him. So I prioritize quarterback over everything else. And if there is a quarterback the Eagles are in love with, whether that be Lance or Fields or Wilson, you take him. I'm not saying that's would would be my evaluation. I'm just saying if the Eagles evaluate it this way, you take the quarterback. But if you don't love any of those quarterbacks and you're not going to take a quarterback, I would draft just completely not looking at your roster position-wise. Because this team needs top-level talent. You take the best player, whether you think that is Sertan or Parsons or Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith or Kyle Pitts or uh, Panay, the tackle from Oregon. I would take the best player, unless it's a quarterback, if it's close. And then, if you love a quarterback, you take the quarterback. Um, But... I wouldn't just be focused on one side of the ball and, you know, exclude 
Guys on the other side. This team needs talent all over the place. And ultimately, I think you need uh, to view it that way, and you need to come away with this draft with that pick, uh, certainly, with a top-level franchise player that you can build around for the future, regardless uh, of the position. I would not limit myself in any regard if I was the Eagles uh, when looking to make this pick. 215-592-9494. Got it to break here. Mike and Adrian, get you guys both. Uh, when we get back, I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Uh, as we just talked about a little in the last segment, if you want to get on the Eagles draft, uh, you're welcome to. As uh, It is draft season. and most, uh, Obviously, when you have a pick as high as the Eagles have this year, uh, it's going to be focused conversation. And um, the Eagles need to hit on this pick. I mean, there's no doubt about that. You need to find a way uh, to get a premium player. This team is uh, devoid of young premium talent. Uh, they need to find those guys, and uh, they need to, to, to hit on this pick. Um, and as I said, I, I absolutely believe that the way – they view quarterbacks, their history. That is is going to be a focus. Um, there's no doubt in my mind, the Eagles are going to draft a quarterback this year. It's just a matter of when. You know, they're going to take somebody uh, at some point in this draft. Uh, it might not be till the fifth or sixth round, um, but if they like one of these top guys, they're going to take them. And it wouldn't be a bad idea. And we discussed it a lot last week, but... You can't be sold on Jalen Hurts after four games. It's just, it's crazy. It would be insane to convince yourself off of that limited of a sample size that this is going to be your no doubt about it franchise quarterback. Is it a possibility? Sure, it's a possibility. I saw a lot that I like from Jalen Hurts, and I think if you tailor an offense around him, and who knows, if Nick Sirianni is a brilliant offensive mind um which you know the uh, uh the odds of that I don't think are great but I'm not going to totally rule rule out that he could be a good coach then yeah this could be successful with Jalen Hurts but if you love one of these quarterbacks you should take one and I, I don't really understand the resistance to it I know people are tired of the quarterback carousel but you know uh, I think this Wentz situation only proves even more how unpredictable that position is. From, you know, year to year, it's hard to know what you're going to get from from the quarterback spot. And if you can find a guy who you can lock in for a decade, it gives you such a built-in advantage. And if the Eagles are in love with one of these guys at the top, I think you got to find a way to get him. 215-592-9494. Also discussing the Sixers as they fall to Cleveland uh, in frustrating fashion on Saturday night in overtime. Again, they have no business losing. Uh, but as I said, I'm not going to freak out over a loss to a bad team. Uh, teams have letdowns in the NBA. It does happen. It's It's not ideal. But it's certainly not something that 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 never happens to good teams in the NBA. Uh, but what is concerning is that normally when that happens, it's 
Joel Embiid had a bad night. That did not happen on Saturday. Joel Embiid went for 40-plus, and he got very little help. This team needs to be significantly improved. You need to either significantly improve the bench or get a star-level player in the starting lineup. And uh, one of the questions we've been asking is, the trade deadline comes about and rumors surrounding Bradley Beal, uh, you know, I'm looking um, right now and, and the fact that Washington could shop him, they've been steadfast that they won't trade him. But if he becomes available, uh, would you trade Ben Simmons and probably other assets for him? Uh, one of the things that we are discussing. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Mike in South Philly. What's up, Mike? Yeah, how's it going, Tom? What's going on, man? So, um, with uh, with Daryl Morey, um, you know, so far, and I do stress so far because obviously there's plenty of chapters to be written, um, you know, for the remaining uh, year of 2021. I got to be honest, man, his first year as Sixers general manager, unimpressive and disappointing. Got to be honest. Uh, you know, look, man, um, his, he made a, a decent trade for, for Al Horford. It was a fine trade. I mean, the, the Thunder put uh, an open for business sign in their window. They were willing to take any and all big contracts for draft compensation. So I don't think it's exactly like, you know, he pulled the wool over the, the Thunder's eyes or anything or pulled the rabbit out of the hat. The, the Curry trade was fine. It, wasn't, it didn't send shockwaves across the NBA, but it, it was a fine trade. There's nothing wrong with it. But, like, I, I hate to keep harping on it, but I'm going to because, you know, fans in this city bring up, uh, DK Metcalf once a day, Justin Jefferson once a day, you know, all the misses. Missing on James Harden is far worse than any of them. That was, and I said it when it happened, it was a catastrophic failure on Daryl Morey's part. Catastrophic. And I respect Daryl Morey. I, you know, I praised the hire when they made it. I thought it was the perfect hire for the team. Um, I don't think there's any regrets. Like, I don't think the Sixers should be asking for their money back by any means. Um, but if you're going to be objective, you have to be willing to criticize guys you think are good, and you're, you have to be willing to praise guys you think suck. And um, I think so far, and again, there's plenty, to, there's plenty of time to go, but so far the bad for Dow Morey has far outweighed the good. That missing on Harden is just – that is going to be the weight that just – looms over this team going forward uh, because, you know, at the time people said that doesn't matter. They'll get Beal, they'll get Levine. I, I don't think so. I think these, since, uh, you know, this, this kind of a cluster of teams, you know, fighting for the, you know, the playoffs, I don't think he's going to get any of those guys. I think it'll be a, a fringe starter or middle tier starter or some decent bench players at most. And, uh, and, you know, when you lose out on a top five player and, and not only that, but allow him to go to a division rival, that was that's going to be the move that just it's going to it's like a dark cloud hanging over the team. I'm, I'm telling you, he's going to regret it for years. Well, we'll see, Mike. And I know you've been saying that and, and we'll see how it all plays out. And as you said, um, you know, a lot is going to hinge on what happens in the next few weeks. Like uh, I am. am going to stop short of, of where you're going that it's that catastrophic yet I mean because I do think Daryl Morey will get creative and I do think he'll find a way to get something legitimate done over the next few weeks now is it going to be James Harden level no it's not going to be that but if he finds a way to get a Beal or if he finds a way to get a Levine without giving up Simmons I personally would you know prefer 
that to getting James Harden. I would perf- I would prefer to get a Levine and keep Ben Simmons than get James Harden for Ben Simmons. So well, I'll, I, I'll wait and see. I'll wait and see before I go that far. Well, I have to see what the package is obviously right. first, but um, but I, I just I think like you know what like. I can't remember off the top of my head of the last time a top five NBA player even wanted to be a sixer. I mean, it's been at least 20 years. You know, there really weren't any that during the Iverson era that were really beaten down the door to come here. Certainly not in the um, the it was different, era. different league that, those days too. You know, true, true. But yeah. like when I look at it, I go, okay. You know, you're Daryl Morey. Like you didn't come here. Like you came here to get this team over the hump. Like that's what you were brought here to do, and also help get them out of cap hell, which. You know, to credit him, he got rid of the Horford contract. Um, but when you bring a general manager with that kind of cachet and that kind of credibility, you know, you expect him to get the big fish. You expect him to kind of do for the Sixers and kind of get them into that stratosphere with teams like the Lakers, you know, that are always able to land big-time players. And uh, James Harden was available. You know, John Clark and other people reported – that the Sixers were either one, one A or one B on his list of teams he wanted to go to, and um, and he folded. He he did not push all of his chips on the table, and I, I think it was just such a big error on his part um, because you know not only was was Harden the perfect complement to Embiid, uh, but you'd be maximizing a, a career year for him, um, and then also you'd be keeping him away from the Nets. So even if the Sixers do end up getting a player like Levine. You still have the kind of uh, you know the kind of um, you know end game here of James Harden still being with the Nets. Like you still have to beat a superior Nets team. That's why I think all things considered, getting Harden was the best move because you you add him to your team and you keep him away from the Nets. So it's kind of like killing two. You know, you're, you're strengthening your team and you're you're hurting another team in the process. Yeah, that's I guess where we differ, Mike, because I. I think if the Sixers were to get Levine and keep Ben Simmons, I don't think the Nets would be the superior team. Like, I think the Sixers, if they were to get him and hold on to Simmons and have that starting lineup with, you know, Embiid, Simmons, Levine, Harris, and Curry, uh, I think that could cover up for a lot of your deficiencies, and I think the Sixers um, would be better. Now, again, I don't know if Levine's going to be available or what's going to happen, but uh, as the the trade deadline approaches – I'm sure more players will be made available. And, you know, it is not really exciting to say wait and see. But, I, I mean, so have you just basically lost all trust that Daryl Morey's going to get something significant done here? This year, yeah. I mean, obviously, I trust him long term. I just think I think he I think he just miscalculated. And, and, and it happens. Um, but, I, you know, I'm like I, I always try to call out people when I think they deserve it. Um, I think he made an error. And that doesn't mean he's going to continue to, to make you know, mistakes. Um, if this indeed proves to be a mistake, I don't think he's always going to mess it up. But I, I think he did here. I, I just I don't think those guys are going to be available. Um, I, and it's particularly not a guy of James Harden's caliber, but even like I, I don't think the Bulls will trade Levine. I, I just don't think they're going to. I th- aren't they even in the playoffs right now? I think. Yeah, right? I mean they'd be the eight seed as of now, but they're tied with two other teams. I mean all yeah. the, all these teams in the East are pretty are pretty jumbled up right now. Yeah. If, any, if any team in the East is playing for the eight seed, you know that they, they're misguided in their thinking anyway. Yeah, I think for this year he blew it. I think that was his chance to get an impact star caliber starter. 
Uh, and I think when it comes to the deadline, there's just not going to be a, a lot available. And frankly, I wouldn't go all in for a guy like Lowry because, you know, it's just you don't want – like where the fixtures are with their, with, the, with their setup, they pretty much have one more shot to get a star. Like, the, you know, the Colangelos and Elton Brand depleted so many of their assets, you know um, – you know, if you're not trading Simmons, if you trade him, obviously you could you could go after Big Fish. But you know, you pretty much have Simmons, Maxi, and draft picks, and that's it. So um, if you make a big trade and you give up Maxi and your draft picks, you're pretty much depleting like almost everything you have, not including Ben Simmons. So they pretty much have one more shot here to take a big swing. And if you're going to take that shot, you better go like big. You better right. go big time. And, and Kyle Lowry simply isn't that. So what I'm getting at is if you were to make a trade from Kyle Lowry, if in five, six, seven months a Bradley Beal does become available, you have no shot at him, none. No, I hear you, Mike, and I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I think, yeah, and I think um, that that that's certainly the case, that the Sixers uh, don't have a, a ton of, of assets moving forward. Now – I don't think it is it is as dire. I mean, and there are some things you got to look at with that Houston situation as well. One of the things you got to look at is the coaches uh, saying all of it, and that was one of the things that was reported, is that Doc Rivers didn't want to give up Ben Simmons for James Harden. Now, I don't know how much that ultimately affected the decision. Did it have uh, something to do with it? Um, I'm sure it did, um, but that's kind of telling. And then uh, Kevin points out on Twitter, and – you know, I don't know how much this has to do with it, but this is could it be a factor here that the Rockets and the relationship with Darren Morey because that did not end well. And, you know, there was all the China stuff, and, and I don't ultimately think that really was a big factor. Um, it could have led to Darren Morey and his falling out with the Rockets. Um, but you look at that aspect of it, and, you know, maybe the Rockets were never going to do a deal with Daryl Morey, no matter what he offered. And I'm not saying that's the right thing to do from the Rockets' perspective. If I'm the Rockets, I would have taken the Sixers' deal because I think Ben Simmons is better than anything they're going to end up getting with those picks uh, from Brooklyn. But you do got to take that into consideration in terms of was Houston ever going to make – a deal with the Sixers um, because of uh, the, the falling out. And I don't think it sat well with Tillman Fertitta, the Rockets owner, that Daryl Morey leaves, says he is, you know, taking time off. And a matter of what, weeks later, he is with the 76ers running their front office. So uh, that's another factor you got to look at with the Harden situation as well. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Adrian. What's up, Adrian? Hey, what's up? What's going Mike on? Must have forgot. Mike must have forgot that he, he did try to trade Simmons to Houston, and Houston wasn't going to trade him to the Sixers because of because of what happened, what you just stuffing is talking about. So he, he was going to trade Simmons, but Houston asked for so much just to see if he was going to just give them everything that they asked for. And that's why Doc said no. But he was going to trade Simmons. So I mean, Murray has done a great job. He got rid of he got rid of Herring. He got rid of um, Al Horford. Um, he bought in some. He bought in. He bought the young guy Maxian, which could probably be trade bait. I honestly think he's going to do something else. Um, and I mean, if you can get 
if you can get Bill or Levine and don't trade Simmons, that'll be unbelievable. But there's no I way mean, you're getting. You have to, I think maybe Levine, Adrian. There's I don't see any way you're getting Beal without Trey Simmons. I mean, I would. I mean, I, I tell you right now, if it was up to me, I, I, I would probably trade Simmons, only because. And Beeb is at his peak. Yeah, you got to take advantage. This might of be it. the year. This might actually be the year that we can actually win it all because of what's going on with um, Davidson, LA, and uh, I think what's going on in, in the East. I mean, all these teams that was in, in the front runner last year are actually they just catching up. So, like, like Miami is just getting into the groove. Boston is not as good as they was. Uh, Milwaukee, uh, I'm really not scared of Milwaukee. I just think Milwaukee just can't win a, a, a series that really means something. Um, but when you go, then when you go to the net, so I, the only, I, I, I would trade him now. I mean, if I could get, if I could get Bradley Bill and Cal Lowry, I would trade Simmons, Maxi, uh, Kerr, Green, whatever. It don't even matter. Gork, Mines, whatever else I got to throw it. I would trade. I would give up four players for them two players, and, and Ben Simmons would be included. Well, I don't think. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to be able to get both of them, Adrian. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that's a lot you're going to have to give up. I mean, if the Raptors are really asking that much for Lowry, I don't know about you. I'm not. I'm not huge on Kyle Lowry. I've liked Kyle Lowry as a as a guy and a, as a leader, as a competitor, but on the floor, like I don't know. I'm not. I'm not giving up a ton for Kyle Lowry personally. I think. I, I think. I, I probably I probably would give up Curry and Maxi for for Lowry and whatever else they want, and I I give up I, I I give up Ben Simmons for Bill and whatever else they want. I mean I would do it only because Embiid is at his peak right now. Um, I think within the next few years we can probably actually win it. I mean, so I probably would do it, man. I I, I don't really want to, but I, I probably would I, do it. I can hear the pain right I, now. The way this. I, I was just gonna say, Adrian. I'm sorry. I can hear the pain in your voice because this is a big change for you. You're a big Ben Simmons guy. You know, you've been very but, resistant to trading Ben. It's only because of what's going on now, right now in the league. Um, I mean, this team built is built right now. They need all five starters to play, all five starters to actually play for them to actually be good, just to get to the Eastern Conference Final. I don't think that we can win the Eastern Conference Final against Brooklyn with the five starters that we have right now. I, I just don't think so. No, yeah, no. I, I kind of fall in line with you there, Adrian. Appreciate it. And yeah, I mean. That that's the problem that you run into, and, and as I said, like I'm not, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not nuts about Kyle Lowry. I I like Kyle Lowry. I would like the the intangible stuff that he could bring as a guy who is experienced, has played in really big games, um, you know, brings that leadership. But I mean, I, I wouldn't want to trade much more for him than like. Danny Green and a few picks. What are your thoughts, Dan, on Kyle Lowry? I don't. I'm not. I'm not nuts about him. I look. I'm a Kyle Lowry fan. I think it makes sense. He's a short-term guy on an expiring contract. Obviously, he's from here. He played at Villanova. But besides that, like, it's the intangible stuff. He's been on winning teams. He's contributed to winning teams. He's not the best player on your team. You're going to have Ben Simmons. You're going to have Joel Embiid to get you another ball handler, another point guard, especially in crunch time. It's kind of what, like, I we're talking about what the Sixers need. Your que- your question earlier in the show was, do you want to bolster the bench or go after the star? In general, I'm in favor of going after the star mm-hmm. 10 times out of 10. Because I think benches, especially in the playoffs, shorten up. 
That doesn't mean you don't need depth and you don't need complementary players around it. But I think oftentimes people just throw out bench depth and say, oh, we should get this guy and that guy, and they don't end up getting minutes in the playoffs anyway. Kyle Lowry is a very legitimate on this team, he is a complimentary player at this stage of his career, but he's a very legitimate complimentary player. Now, what Toronto's asking price is going to be remains to be seen, but this is about the here and now. So if they want Tyrese Maxey, Matisse Thybul, a pick, whatever the case is, I'm all in on doing it if Kyle Lowry is the best player you can go get. And with the exception of Beal and Levine, he probably is. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And, you know, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to really give Maxey up for Lowry, like I do it for those other guys. I don't know about. I just about don't think Lowry. Maxie would give you playoff minutes this year. No, no, he wouldn't. So, and, and Lowry would. Right. That's the right. Yeah. No, and I hear you on that. And, and I, I, I get it. I just, I don't know. I, I just don't think Kyle Lowry at this point in his career. You just is think he has nothing great. left, or like no, I think he has something left. I just don't think like, like what does Kyle Lowry, you know, really do that this team needs like he's not a great shooter like I don't think moving Kyle Lowry in for Seth Curry it it upgrades you defensively and he's a guy who can handle the ball but if you still have Ben Simmons I I I just don't I don't know if Kyle Lowry is so much of a better fit than 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 Seth Curry is personally would you not want like a point like there have been other point guards who have kind of been thrown in the mix here potentially on the trade block and I'd be in favor you think about the Sixers don't really have a traditional point card we saw Shake Milton at the very beginning of the bubble last year running the offense that didn't really I like Shake Milton but I don't want him running we've seen point to bias even point to uh, Danny Green when Ben Simmons doesn't play like I guess it's the idea of getting a traditional point guard traditional ball handler on the roster who can defend who can play legitimate playoff minutes for you this year right no and I agree and the other part with Maxie that that maybe I'm not accounting for is I'm so used to the Sixers botching first round draft picks that when they actually get a gem in the rough, it it doesn't make sense. Right. (laughs) But, but, and this is maybe where it affects that where obviously now with a different regime in the front office, maybe you are more confident in your drafting and your player evaluation. So you're just confident that, okay, we trade Tyrese Maxey. We'll find another Tyrese Maxey next year. And maybe that is, uh, part of what is kind of souring me a little bit because I just think back to all the draft picks of the Sixers botch. I think back to Zaire Smith and Markel Fultz and all these things, and you finally get a guy with a later pick that can play, and you don't want to give him up, but ultimately, you know, you might have to. I also feel the need to defend. Like, I think Seth Curry has played well this I year. I do, too. Like, I, he's leading the team in three-point percentage. He's giving you about 13 points a game. What did people think? He's not Steph Curry. Like, what did people think they were well, getting in him? Well, what that is, is is people go off what they just saw, and he just had a terrible game I, they, on He just Saturday had a terrible night. game, but overall, he's been, like, the team's best three-point shooter. Right. I agree with you. I, and, I, I think, and I think the Sixers undisputably won that trade. I mean, Josh Richardson stinks. Yeah, he didn't, really, he didn't really fit this team. Like, he's an NBA player. He didn't, he didn't fit this team. He doesn't stink, but I think he's a—I think you can find a Josh Richardson anywhere. Just anywhere. Like, a, like a plug-in fifth starter. Yeah. Yeah, like I don't think there's Off anything the Josh Richardson does that's you, special. You can't you can't do without. Yeah, and they right. got him, and they got Danny Green to get Al Horford off the books. Right. I like no, they're absolutely both good trades, and Daryl Morey did it in what like an hour. Yeah. I mean, he just flipped the two of them. I think they've been good additions. I look, the consistency is an issue. You don't know exactly what the rotation is going to look like. Moving one of them to the bench is attractive. You might have to trade one of them. But, you know, sometimes these trades get weird in terms of how you're matching up salaries. Do you throw in a guy like 
Mike Scott? Do you throw in another pick? Whatever the case may be. But ultimately, if you can get Kyle Lowry on this team, Levine and Beal, Beal, I think, would definitely take Simmons. Levine, I think even he, they might ask for Simmons with the Bulls, unless you gave them, a, I don't know what haul of a package you could throw their way, right. minus Ben Simmons that would get Zach Levine. So ultimately, like if you're asking what I think they're going to do, I think it's going to be like one of these marginal guys. I know you're not a huge fan of him. Someone brought him up when we were on the air last week. You know, like a George Hill, a guy who you're like, yeah, like who you're like. I've seen this guy in the playoffs before. He just makes his way around the league. Right. They try and bolster the roster so they have players they can that Doc can feel comfortable giving minutes to in a playoff series against Brooklyn. Yeah. No. No. I hear you, and and we'll see. And the one thing though, I am confident. I am personally confident Daryl Morey will get something done, and it might be a name that we haven't even considered. Um, but I'm confident that he will find a way. Uh, to improve this team. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Uh, when we get back, we will talk a little bit about the Eagles. We'll uh, go through uh, – this is something I want to do over the next couple nights. Go through the roster and uh, uh, go by, through by position and, and who should stay, who should go. Will they be back and should they be back next year? Um, so we'll look at quarterback and running back. Uh, coming up next, two one five five nine two nine four nine four. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio ninety four WIP. Sports Radio ninety four WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Sunday morning. Uh, open lines if you want to get in. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four is how you join the show. Uh, discussing the Sixers a, a lot so far and. Uh, we will over the next couple weeks here as uh, this trade deadline approaches. And um, just a, you would just hate to see the Sixers squander this kind of opportunity uh, because Joel Embiid is, I mean, the level he is playing at right now is, it's insane. Like, it's MVP caliber. It is the best we've seen a Sixers player play since Allen Iverson 20 years ago. And you got to find a way uh, to take a, advantage of it. It is amazing to me how much better the NBA is now than it was back then. It's funny because, you know, I know a lot of older people said think the NBA is awful nowadays, and it's just, it's so idiotic. It really is because uh, the league is 10 times better now than it was 20, 25, 30 years ago when you look at, at – how many teams have star-level talent, star-level quality players? Um, you know, you got a guy like Bradley Beal on the Washington Wizards, and Washington Wizards aren't a good team. They haven't been a good team for years, and Bradley Beal is one of the best players in the league. And really, you can look throughout every roster, and you can find uh, difference-making guys. And, um, you know, you, you compare that, to 20 years ago when the Sixers, that Sixers team to get to the finals, as great as Allen Iverson was, you know, that's a team that wouldn't stand a chance these days. And obviously the game is is played much differently now, but uh, just a much better league. And it's really, I don't know, it's, it's hard for me to watch college basketball anymore because of just how much better the talent is in the NBA. It's like a completely different sport. And, you know, I don't know. It makes it hard for me to watch 
the college game these days. Um, so we will see what the Sixers do here over the next few weeks as uh, they try to improve this team and they need to find a way to to maximize this window because the windows now, um, it is not about the future with this team anymore. And it really hasn't been for a long time. And And you look back to when things really accelerated, um, and obviously this was the previous regime, but once they made the Jimmy Butler trade, it changed everything. It, it changed um, the view. It changed the uh, the outlook, and uh, that's only accelerated since then. And now, um, with Joel Embiid finally reaching this level, this MVP uh, caliber season that he's having, um, Sixers cannot waste it, and they need uh, – to maximize it. And one thing that he said after the game that I thought was was interesting, if nothing else. And, you know, I don't know. I don't believe this was a, a necessarily a slight or a shot at Ben Simmons. Um, but Joel Embiid did say after the game that, that despite the Sixers taking more threes this year, said they're still not taking enough threes. And he said, when guys are open, they got to let it fly. Now, I don't know if he is talking directly at Ben, you know, talking directly uh, to Ben Simmons when he says that, if that's about Ben Simmons. But um, it was, it was, I think, interesting. And Ben Simmons, at the end of the game, you know, and this was somewhat frustrating, and I am not somebody who thinks Ben Simmons needs to start bombing threes. I do think if he shot one or two a game, I don't think it would be that bad because I I think he is a better shooter than he gives, I think, himself credit for. Um, but, you know, when he comes down at the end of the game and, and hits a meaningless three, it, it does kind of make you think, like, should he be taking these a little bit more? And... I just thought that was uh, an interesting quote from Joel Embiid after the game. Um, and, and I wonder if he had Ben Simmons in mind uh, when he said it. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Um, over the next couple nights as well, I do want to uh, look at the Eagles a little bit with their roster. As we look toward this offseason, and it's going to be – a very different offseason in terms of how this team is going to be built. Because normally we look at the Eagles and it's all about, you know, where do they need to shore up? Where do they need to improve for next season? And this is not really for, for, for them about next season at this point. Everything for the Eagles moving forward revolves around 2022 and beyond and you know it's really about setting themselves up in the best possible position for the next five years as opposed to the next year so I did want to go through the some of the positions over the next few nights and um, look at some of the areas where this team uh, is gonna need to make critical decisions uh, for next season and obviously the big spot that we will always look at is quarterback. And 
just looking at the Eagles roster on their website here, they've really got to update this. I mean, they still have Carson Wentz on their roster. Well, I guess the trade's not official yet, so he would still be on their roster at this point. Um, but you look at the two quarterbacks that the Eagles have. Uh, Jalen Hurts, I mean, when you look at, at stay or go, I think it would be very unlikely that Jalen Hurts is moved this offseason. Now, I don't think it's it's necessarily impossible. Um, I wouldn't move him, but I guess you could make the argument if the Eagles do draft a quarterback in the first round and they're definitely going to want to get that guy on the field immediately, they feel that strongly about him, um, that maybe they would trade Jalen Hurts because I do think Jalen Hurts is a guy that would have a level of value around the NFL. Like, you use a second-round pick on him, I think that's likely his value at this point. Like, I don't think his value is decreased in any way uh, after last season. Um, maybe increased a bit, but I wouldn't trade Jalen Hurts. Um, even if you draft a quarterback in the first round, I would keep Jalen Hurts on this roster, and uh, I would let him compete with whoever your rookie quarterback was, or, um, you know, you, you keep him around, and if he if he were to lose that competition, beat a backup, and then, great, you have him for what you drafted him for anyway, which is a quality backup quarterback on a, an affordable contract. Um, so I think Jalen Hurts uh, will remain and should remain. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. Nate Sudfeld, I, don't, I, I, I have a feeling Nate Sudfeld's time in Philadelphia is done. I think that final performance against Washington um, w- was probably it uh, for Nate. What are your takes on those two guys, Dan? Well, Jeff Lurie called Nate Sudfeld unstoppable. So right. I, I, I'm thinking they're going to give him a contract extension this offseason at some point. I'm, we're, that's kind of the news we're all waiting on here at this point. But in all seriousness, yeah, I don't know what the – Nate Sudfeld always kind of seemed like the guy in the quarterback room that – Made like Carson Wentz feel better. Like they, I'm surprised they didn't ship him to Indy in the trade. What's kind of a what's kind of incredible is Nate Sudfeld has been on the Eagles' active roster for four years now. Like well, that's because yeah, he, he played that. He came in for Foles in that Dallas game in the Super Bowl year. He was on and he's been on the roster ever since. Yeah, like, since that season. No, it's it's crazy that he's been here that long because you don't. And he's don't been know. a year in Washington before that. He's been in the league five years. Right, which is crazy. Um, but and it's ironic because I think. I I am of the the opinion, I know I'm on an island on this one, that I don't think the Nate Sudfeld playing in the Washington thing was really dictated by the front office. I you do, thought that was Doug getting uh, him playing time? Yeah, I really do. I, I think Doug mishandled it horribly. I think if Doug just makes that change at halftime, I don't think anything's really made of it. Yeah, it seems like his time has gone. Like, some of the overreaction to that at the time was so ridiculous that this was going to be something that loomed in the locker room all year and would carry over into next season. We've had, like, 20,000 different news cycles with this team ever since. Who is going to remember when the team lines up next September? It's not that they got a new coach, not that they have a new quarterback, but it's that they tanked that game in last year like no way no it's ridiculous and whether they did it on purpose or not it seemed like Doug Peterson didn't have all the power in the organization I thought at the time that I would have thought Howie Roseman and Lori would have known about that I don't know what the discussion was maybe not we're going to tank the game but we're going to give Nate some playing time here today and they're probably like sure what do we care at this point right and 
he probably handled it badly, and then he's kind of like smirking at the in the presser after the game, making it seem like they did it on purpose, and then he's got to backtrack, and they have all these explanations, and then he loses his job. The whole thing was a PR nightmare. Yeah. But ultimately, I don't even really care. Like, let's say they did, and I thought some of the other stuff that wasn't even discussed as much was even funnier in terms of tank. Uh, who was it? T.Y. McGill jumping late in the game on, like, the most obvious, sna- uh, you know, uh, what, what do you call it? Hard count is the word I'm looking uh-huh. for. The most ar- obvious hard count by Washington late in the game, and he jumps. And then there was another really bad unsportsmanlike conduct penalty late in that game. Like, there were other things that the Eagles did to contribute to losing that, and they still had a chance to win late with Sud- Sudfeld. Right. I thought it was a bad move. It didn't seem like Hertz really liked it. It didn't seem like the guys in the locker room were all on the same page. So I think it was handled poorly. But ultimately, going in, I don't think they said, hey, we're going to do anything in our power to lose this game to move up three spots. No, they they weren't going to do that. And I, I think, uh, you know, Doug just wanted to get Sudfeld some playing time to maybe uh, give him an opportunity to— It was a senior night. Right, right, right. To, to show what he could do um, for uh, another team. Now, I think in turn— what he may have actually done is, is, you know, knock Nate Sudfeld out of the league uh, because I don't know how many teams would really want to bring him in after uh, a those, performance those like that. Those quarterback journeymen always get jobs and some, like, it could be as a third stringer. But if you're just like a nice guy, someone will sign you, at yeah. least to the practice squad. I wouldn't be surprised if someone else brought him in. He seems like a smart guy, I, you know, basic, is a de facto coach. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think uh, Nate Sudfeld will be back next year. So, Jalen Hurts, yes, I believe he will. Nate Sudfeld, I don't. And you look at the running back spot, this is another position where I think the Eagles need to totally overhaul things. I mean, Miles Sanders will clearly be back. Um, other than that, though, like, I have seen enough of Boston Scott personally. Uh, you know, if you if he's in camp um, – you know, you keep him around as a third string running back. Maybe I just don't see anything there that he's been on the roster for three years and he's had some nice moments, but Boston Scott is what, what he is. And he is a hard worker, um, but he's not a very talented player. He obviously doesn't have uh, good size. He is not fast. Um, he is not what you would call very agile. Like, the comparisons of Darren Sproles, um, it's just because they're both short. Like, other than that, Boston Scott has none of the qualities that Darren Sproles has. He doesn't return punts. Um, he is gives you absolutely nothing as a kick returner. So I would personally move on. Uh, Corey Clement, it's time to move on. I don't know what has happened to Corey Clement since the Super Bowl year. I don't know what happened to him during the Super Bowl year, because obviously that has proven to be an anomaly. Um, he's been a complete non-factor the last three years. I would move on from there. Then your other guys, you got Elijah Holyfield, who we didn't see last year, um, which I, I'm assuming he's a camp body. And then Jason Huntley, who he's actually the only other running back who I would maybe give a look to, because when he did play a little bit, he showed a little explosiveness on a few plays. He didn't get that much time, but um, yeah, other than Miles Sanders, I'd be fine overhauling the whole rest of the running back room. There's going to be a lot. You're just going down the list here. We're only at quarterback and running back. There's going to be a lot of guys in this week one roster 
who we're not necessarily thinking about right now. And as we get deeper into the season, there's always practice squad guys that get circled in. But if this season is as bad as I think some people think it's going to be, and we don't know what Sirianni is going to be in year one. We don't know what Hurts is going to be in year one. But if this season starts to spiral in a bad direction and the roster just isn't competing, the NFC East has a team that actually looks like it's going to win and we don't all keep our hopes up into December with a you know six-win team or something like that, we're going to see a lot of guys playing next year who we're not even thinking about and names we probably, frankly, haven't heard of at this point. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, that's the kind of situation the Eagles are in, and that's why I'd be fine bringing back a guy like like Huntley that, you know, you're you're not really looking uh, to win next year. You're looking for guys who could maybe, maybe be part of your – your tryout program year. moving forward. So um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, the, uh, going through this, and we'll do it over the next couple nights with quarterback and running back, um, other than Miles Sanders, I don't, I'm not really uh, committed to anybody else um, at running back that the Eagles have had the last couple of years here. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. When we return, uh, to continue the quarterback talk a little bit here, uh, we've obviously talked about the options if the Eagles were to draft one, but if they don't and they are to ride with Jalen Hurts, um, I have a couple names as far as veterans that the Eagles might be interested in bringing in uh, to back up Jalen Hurts, uh, and we'll uh, touch on those guys next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. Uh, with you until 6 in the uh, 4 o'clock hour. We'll let you uh, hear a little bit of what Bryce Harper had to say uh, this past week um, down in Clearwater as Bryce arrived. And, uh, I mean, an important season coming up for the Phillies here. When you look at what happened last year, and let, let's face it, it was nothing short of an embarrassment. Um, for them to not make the playoffs in a 60-game season, which was, I mean, in my mind, just tailor-made for them to, uh, you know, get to the playoffs, uh, all things considered, when uh, you have eight teams going from the National League, uh, you're playing a shortened season, which should have benefited a team with a lack of pitching depth, um, both in the rotation and in the bullpen, Um the fact that a team like the Marlins uh, ends up getting in instead of you. I mean, it was it was really embarrassing. And, uh, you know, in some ways, I guess you can look at what happened and you can say it was possibly for the greater good when you consider the fact that it motivated, I think, change. It, it, it inspired change. And when you look at both, you know, the Sixers and the Phillies and how last season ended, um, I think you can put both in that kind of category where the Sixers had that embarrassment in the bubble and that ends up motivating, motivating them to go out and make serious changes in the front office. And you're able to get at Daryl Moore. You're able to get at Doc Rivers and really stabilize those aspects of your uh, 
front office and your coaching staff uh, with the Phillies. You know, the disappointment of last season motivates John Middleton to go out and, and, you know, John Middleton didn't sound like a guy who was going to be motivated after the season, but uh, goes out and gets a Dave Dombrowski. And Dave Dombrowski made a big difference. And um, Bryce Harper uh, talked about that during his, his media conference on, uh, I guess it was Thursday. So we will uh, hear some of the things that Bryce had to say in the um, in the 4 o'clock hour here uh, with spring training fully underway for the Phillies in what is a critical year. You know, I I think this team is improved. I'm not sure how improved. I mean, a lot of what they did was bringing back pieces that they already had, whether it be J.D. Real Muto, D.D. Gregorius. Um, but they did make some moves in the bullpen that should help. Uh, when you look at Jose Alvarado, who I think – is a really good lefty if he's healthy. Wasn't healthy last year. Um, and, you know, really, there was a, a situation in Tampa Bay where they have so many quality bullpen arms, they could afford to let him go. But hopefully he is uh, the kind of guy that can come in here and be effective for the Phillies as a lefty who can get lefties out. You know, they add um, Archie Bradley, who hopefully will be a, a nice piece to their bullpen. And uh, I don't know if it dramatically improves their playoff chances. I mean, this is a really, really good division. I mean, when you look at all five teams, I think have some, some real quality to them. I think the Braves are, are pretty clearly uh, at the top of the pecking order there. Uh, Braves looking to rebound from, from their blown opportunity in the NLCS against against the Dodgers. Um, but you look at uh, the Mets are improved, obviously, when you look at what they did in terms of adding Francisco Lindor. Um, Washington should be better this year. I, I think Washington last year simply, you know, I don't know if packed it in is a proper way to put it, but um, they were a team that I think coming off that World Series win after trying to get over the hump so many times, they, I don't think it was the most motivated team last year. So I think they'll come back, uh, and we know they're talented both on offensively and um, on the pitching staff. And then Miami, who I, I don't think they're going to be able to hold up over 162 uh, with – their their lack of of talent, uh, especially offensively, but that's a good young pitching staff, and we know all about Sixto Sanchez, and and you know they also have Alcantara and some of those other guys. So uh, it's a difficult division, and that's a team that's had the Phillies number. So um, it'll be interesting to see uh, what the Phillies can do this season uh, as they move forward. And we'll let you hear some of what Bryce Harper had to say in the four o'clock hour. But if you want to get in, uh, there is time to get in. We have open lines, 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Some of the things we were discussing earlier uh, in regards to the Sixers, as they lose to the Cavaliers on Saturday night, a disappointing loss. Um, But what is really concerning is, in fact, Joel Embiid, 
goes for 42, and you still lose to a team like that. And uh, it's going to be on Daryl Moore to improve the team. We've been talking about that tonight, uh, the types of moves that could be made. Uh, would you trade Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal? And that's going to be, I'm sure, a question that's asked a lot over the next couple weeks. And especially if it is kind of made more known that the Wizards are going to make Bradley Beal available. Um, the Sixers are going to be right in the middle of that. And I think part of the the problem is as well, in terms of whether you not want to give up too much, is when you look at the market for Bradley Beal, there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of teams in the mix. Um, whether you look at Miami, who I certainly think could be in the mix to add him, and they have a guy like Tyler Hero they could potentially give up. Um, a team like Golden State, where they have some young pieces, they have some draft picks that they could move, and that would not only set them up well for this year, but also uh, for next year when they get Clay Thompson back. Uh, so uh, Sixers, what do they need to do over the next couple weeks to improve as they head toward the playoffs? Uh, and also, we've been talking about the Eagles a little bit um, and kind of going through the roster, and we'll do more with it tomorrow. Um, but uh, looking at the positions on this team, uh, who should be back, who should not be back. And uh, at quarterback, uh, we talked about it. I think Jalen Hurts is back, but I don't think it's a lock. Like, I, if the Eagles were to get an offer, I mean, if, if they were to get offered a first-round pick for Jalen Hurts, I don't think that would be the case. But um, I think they'd certainly consider that if they like a quarterback in the first round. Uh, I certainly think they could probably get a second back, but I wouldn't trade Jalen Hurts for a second um, I would rather keep him as a backup or, or let him compete if you do draft a quarterback. And also, uh, looked at the running back position, as we talked about, um, other than uh, Miles Sanders, I don't think uh, any is certainly a lock to come back. And I really wouldn't um, want to bring any of these other running backs back. Uh, but when we return, I meant to do it this segment, uh, but when we get back, I will give uh, three backup quarterback options. Um from uh, veterans that could be available uh, if the Eagles do not draft a quarterback in the first round. Do that next. And also, um, Chris Long and Malcolm Jenkins uh, teamed up and did a, a podcast this week, Chris Long's Greenlight Podcast, and they talked a lot about Carson Wentz. We played that earlier this week, so we won't play that. But I do want to relive uh, one of the most important plays of the Eagles' Super Bowl run uh, told by those two guys on Chris Long's podcast. So we'll do that next as well. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. Uh, if you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Um, and as we, uh, you know, look toward this offseason here, it's, it's obviously a very interesting one for the Eagles, as we've talked about, with the focus being much more on the future and not the 2021 season. And, uh, you know, when you look at the quarterback spot, um, it's fascinating the different ways that this could go uh, for the Eagles. Now, we obviously know that, that they made the decision on Carson Wentz. He will not be back. And now... Um, you turn to the post-Carson Wentz era, and there are 
a number of options for the Eagles uh, as we look toward this offseason. And when you have uh, the number six pick in the draft, and we, we talked about this, and I'm sure it'll continue to be um, a topic of conversation over the next few weeks here, but when you have the number six pick in the draft, you must consider a quarterback at that at that spot. You, you just need to. Um, I know that people seemingly don't want a quarterback. Um, I personally don't understand the opposition to it. Uh, you know, if anything, I feel like this past season should demonstrate why it's so important to have one or more than one that you can rely upon. And when you look at where the Eagles are, um, relying on Jalen Hurts and being sold on Jalen Hurts after just four games is is crazy. Um, so you got to consider it. You know, I don't know if that's the route they will go. I don't know if that's the route they should go. But what I do know is if you love one of those guys, you got to take them. And uh, knowing what we know about the Eagles and how they will aggressively pursue quarterbacks that they like, um, you got to move up to get that guy if you really like him. Now, uh, if it's Josh Fields, if it's Zach Wilson, if it's Trey Lance, if you like that player, you should Select them. Now, if the Eagles don't, though, I mean, you're looking at Jalen Hurts and Jalen Hurts starting next season because uh, the idea of bringing somebody else in to compete with Jalen Hurts or potentially start over Jalen Hurts doesn't make much sense to me. You know, I would, if that were the case, I would ride it out with Jalen Hurts, see what he can give you uh, over the course of a season and move on uh, from there based on based on this year. I think in a lot of ways, Jalen Hurts is the perfect quarterback for this type of situation skill-wise because he's not good enough or proven enough to rule out drafting a quarterback high, but he's also not, you know, bad enough or unreliable enough where you have to draft a quarterback. Uh, and he does have potential. So I think you could bring him in, you start Jalen Hurts for a year, um, and then you see where you are after next year. Best case scenario, Jalen Hurts plays great. Um, he's your guy, and you can address the other needs on your roster while having a quarterback on a rookie contract. Uh, and then, you know, the other scenario, Jalen Hurts doesn't play well. Um, you're a bad team, and you're drafting in the top 10 again, and uh, again within range uh, to – get uh, the top guys next year. But if the Eagles go that route, um, I was thinking about who would be some quality veteran backup options where you bring a guy in um, who could be a mentor, could help Jalen Hurts along, and, you know, if needed, if Jalen Hurts goes down, uh, misses a couple games, you can slot this guy in, and he can play and, and give you competent quarterback play um, in case you need it. And uh, a few names uh, that I came up with here. And number one, um, if 
the Chicago Bears release him, I think Nick Foles makes a lot of sense. I really do. Familiarity with the offense, obviously, with his time with Frank Reich, you'd imagine that Nick Sirianni is going to have a similar offense to Frank Reich, and I think it would make a lot of sense in that regard to bring Nick Foles back. Now, obviously, you would have to work it out with him and 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 know the situation. And I think Nick Foles would know the situation. Nick Foles would understand coming back here that his role would be as the backup quarterback. His role would be to help Jalen Hurts. And at this point, I don't think he'd be opposed to that. Like, he's tried going uh, the other route. He's tried going to Jacksonville, Chicago, and it hasn't worked out for Jay, for uh, Nick Foles, rather, in those places. Um, you know, why wouldn't he want to come back to the place where he's been successful, uh, be a backup, help Jalen Hurts along, uh, make some money, and if, you know, Jalen Hurts were to go down, Nick Foles could come in and play. I don't think that is a terrible scenario. Another guy I looked at that, that I think the Eagles would have interest in uh, that is a free agent is Jacoby Brissett, who was with Indianapolis last year, um, played under Frank Reich, played under Nick Sirianni. Uh, and I don't think he is a really – I don't think Jacoby Brissett's a bad quarterback, to be honest with you. I mean, he played um, in 2019. He was their starter after the unexpected retirement of Andrew Luck and did okay. I mean, he wasn't great, but he's certainly not terrible. Like, I think you could do a lot worse – from the backup quarterback spot. Um, And that's another name that I would keep an eye on. A guy who knows the offense, uh, a good teammate from everything you hear, uh, was a a backup last year, um, and, you know, was apparently is a real quality locker room guy, uh, and I think might be good for Jalen Hurts. And that's another name uh, that I would look at. And the third name I would look at is Tyrod Taylor, who – Free agent now after the year he had with the Chargers, uh, started a game, then, you know, they they accidentally punctured his lung with a shot or something. I forget exactly what happened. But then Justin Herbert goes in, and then, um, you know, he never really gets another opportunity. And Tyrod Taylor has been in several situations where he's kind of been the uh, the, the temporary starter, before a young guy takes over, I think it would be kind of the opposite situation here where you come in and be uh, the backup and help a young quarterback along, but obviously has a history of doing that. Um, and I think uh, might be a nice option. Played under Shane Steichen, who's the new offensive coordinator, uh, when he was with the Chargers last year. Um, so I think that would be a, an interesting option. Uh, so they're, they're the three veteran quarterback options that I'd look at. What do you think of those guys, Dan? Any of those guys doing anything for you? Look, Tyrod Taylor was, he was a bill starter a few years back. I, I could see bringing uh, the Foles idea would be a lot of fun on this station for sure. Um, I don't hate it. Like they're all journeymen. You, we know that Howie Roseman values the backup quarterback and we know that, if you could get someone in here to actually challenge Jalen Hurts, and now we have a quarterback that apparently, you know, isn't going to be intimidated by a backup being drafted, such as Carson Wentz was. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a quote-unquote QB competition in camp, even though I think we all know Jalen Hurts will be the starter. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think that would you know. So sorry, it was Foles, yeah. Taylor. I, who was the third? Brist, guy? Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett. I, I could be on board with any three of those guys. Yeah, I, I could see it. I, I could definitely see it. I'm trying to think if there are any other names. Cam Newton will get a job somewhere. I know people are soured on him. I'm not an advocate of Cam Newton, but I do. I don't think his career in the NFL is over. I don't think he'd want to be a backup though. If it's I think, that or not having a job, you think he's got a I starter think, job? I think he'll have an opportunity to compete somewhere at the, at the very least. So I don't think that makes sense here because I think he'd know that Hurts is the right. guy. But maybe at a lower-end team who doesn't really have a stable quarterback, right. I could I could see Cam Newton going into a QB co- competition. And, you know, we always hear about athletes reinventing themselves. Of I'm now, I've been humbled by my previous experiences, and I'm going to come back and work hard. I'm not the player I used to be, but I'm trying to – still make something of my career so yeah. i could see it but I, i'd be on board the Foles thing would be fun i'll believe it when i see it the brissette is probably the best of the three mm-hmm. if we're being honest i guess as i view it yeah no no so uh there's some interesting options so we'll see uh how it all plays out and, and what the eagles end up doing but you know if if you're gonna ride with jalen hurts you want a few things out of a backup quarterback here you want a guy who is gonna come in and, um, you know, it will be a good role model. And, you know, I think the irony of, of a lot of this stuff with the drafting of Jalen Hurts is that the Eagles thought Jalen Hurts would be good for Carson Wentz. I honestly believe that. Um, and, you know, the, the thing that they didn't account for was that Jalen Hurts is a competitor and that he would want to come in here and, and play. Um, and... Uh, that obviously changed the dynamic, but you bring in a veteran player, and I'm sure these guys would be competitive as well, but understand the situation. Uh, so I think uh, that's a route that you could go here uh, as the Eagles look toward next season now to address uh, the quarterback position. And we will uh, continue over the next couple nights uh, to go through the roster and look at guys who should be here, will be here next year, uh, opposed to uh, players who will be leaving. Uh, Philadelphia or should be leaving um, considering this is going to be an overhauled roster uh, next season Uh, but coming up next I want to talk a little Phillies we will um, talk a little bit about Bryce Harper who had his first press conference of the year this week uh, addressing the state of the team I mean Bryce when he speaks he almost speaks like an executive um, with how much say he has within this organization so We will uh, talk a little Phillies next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. Uh, I want to do some Phillies here for a little while. As uh, Joe Girardi joined the morning show, we'll play you that interview around 5 o'clock. But first, I want to get to some of the things that Bryce Harper had to say. Bryce made his arrival at spring training this week. And, you know, Bryce Harper, a guy that was very vocal about what the Phillies needed to do in the offseason. And, you know, I, I ultimately like that. I think at some times you can get a little – it can get a little touchy when, when you're kind of telling the front office what they need to do. But in this case, um, I think the Phillies needed a push. Like, John Middleton needed that push to get things done. And ultimately, you know, we remember that horrific press conference – that he and Andy McPhail had after the season, um, which was a disaster. But ultimately, I think it was uh, the best thing because it was so bad and there was so much blowback from it 
that I think that Joe Girardi or, or pardon me, John Middleton realized, all right, well, I need to do some damage control, and damage control would be signing JT and getting some of the things that we need to get done, done. But Bryce Harper was vocal about this from all the way last year during the summer camp when he was, when the Phillies are working out and he yells up, you know, sign JT uh, after JT hits a homer or something. And um, the Phillies ultimately were able to do that and ultimately had a, a very good offseason. Uh, so I want to go through some of the things that Bryce Harper had to say here over the next couple segments. Um, in terms of the Phillies offseason, the team moving forward, and first – Here's Bryce just talking about uh, what he thinks of the offseason that the ball club had. Um, no, I, I didn't really talk to anybody about it. Um, I kind of just wanted to put all my trust and faith in the team to, you know, keep their word. Um, you know, when we met, um, when we sat down before free agency and stuff like that, that was one of the big things and, and goals of this team was to sign the free agents when we could and, um, you know, get the guys when we could and stuff like that. So I put my faith and trust in them to do their job and, um, you know, I had that faith in him. Um, of course, you know, when you get halfway through the offseason and there's not really much going on, you kind of start sitting there worrying about what our identity as a team is going to be, um, you know, how we want to, um, you know, prolong this for a couple of years so that we can um, have a great team for, for, you know, not just one year or two year, but um, for six and seven years. Um, our farm system's kind of depleted. Um, so we didn't have anybody that we could really call up or um, trade away for anything you know, that's substantial. Um, of course, you're hopefully not going to get rid of guys like Mick Abel or Stodd or anything like that, uh, Maton or anybody like that. So um, I was wondering kind of what we were going to do. Um, and then, you know, John made his, his decisions of bringing in um, Dombrowski, of course, and Sam Fold is, is our GM. Um, two moves where I thought, wow, um, here we go. This is the start. Um, this is the start of our offseason. This is kind of what we're going to do. Um, I said the other day, you don't really bring in Dombrowski unless it's a it's a win now kind of move. Um, I think Dombrowski has done a great job um, bringing the guys in that we were able to bring in right now into camp. We have a lot of competition in camp right now, and I think that's good for us and good for the game. Um, bringing in a, a bullpen and shedding the you know or not shedding, sorry, um, you know getting the costs of you know the bullpen that we do have and the players that we do um, for the amount of money that we spent. I thought he did a great job with that. And, uh, of course, bringing back JT. I think a lot of these pitchers, too, um, that have came into our staff or came into our bullpen um, understand what JT does for them behind the plate. Um, pitchers like throwing to a good catcher, and I think JT does that behind the plate for these guys. Um, and, you know, the way Dombrowski works, I don't even know if he's done yet. You know, I, I, I have no idea. I haven't really talked to him about it or anything like that. Um, so I guess we'll wait and see what happens uh, here in spring training. And um, just very fortunate to play for an organization that um, is ready to go, ready to win, and, you know, made the moves that are the significant moves that we needed to uh, this offseason. And Bryce Harper speaking, you know, rather candidly uh, about the offseason moves, saying that he wasn't sure what was going on um, and, you know, kind of indictment of the previous front office. And, uh, you know, I, I, I guess that's okay. Those guys aren't, aren't in place anymore. But, I mean, spoke pretty candidly uh, about it. And um, I thought some, some very interesting things in there that Bryce Harper was also unsure, just as we were, about the future of the organization and the plans uh, for the offseason. But you heard him mention Dave Dabrowski in here. And this is a common theme, something you'll hear from Joe Girardi later on as well. In terms of the effect Dave Dombrowski's had on this organization, here's Bryce um, on 
the high-profile general manager? No, I think it was December when I had no idea what was going on. Um, you know, where we were kind of sitting there figuring out what we kind of wanted to do as an organization. Um, you know, how we wanted to approach this offseason, what was going on. Um, you know, payroll, things like that. Um, so, I mean, I think that was kind of my sense of, man, you know, what do we got going? Um, but also me understanding that um, I have all my trust in, uh, you know, John Milton and what he's going to do for our organization, all of our coaches and stuff like that. You don't bring in Girardi and tell him, hey, we're not going to do anything. You know what I'm saying? So um, I think just bringing him in, it was kind of refueling. I mean, you guys know how Dombrowski is and how he works. You know what I'm saying? Like he wants to win. And he was able to do that when he was in Detroit. He was able to do that when he was um, with Boston. And so when he came in, it was kind of like, whoa, like, here we go. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is this is it. This is what we're going to do. Um, and this is how we're going to do it. So he made his first move. He made his second move, his third move. And it kind of just dwindled into kind of what we're doing right now. Um, and I love Sam. I love the way he approaches his days. I love the way he approaches players as well. Um, and I just think we have a great mix of, you know, people working for us right now. And uh, we're just really excited as a, as a locker room and as a clubhouse. So I'm um, looking forward to it. And I don't think you can underestimate with Dombrowski kind of the, uh, the instant credibility that he brings to the organization that, that I don't think you necessarily have with Matt Klendak. I mean, John Middleton's talked about Andy McPhail and his, um, accomplishments from 30 years ago. Nobody cares about that. Dave Dombrowski is a guy who has had legitimate accomplishments recently in Boston. I mean, won a World Series, what, two years, two, three years ago? Two years ago in Boston? Um, and he brings a, a certain level of credibility that you instantly recognize. And here's Bryce on his first conversation with Dombrowski after he's hired by the Phils. He called me and we talked for a second. Uh, just, you know, I told him, congratulations. I'm happy to have you. Um, I'm glad Nashville didn't work out for you. No, <laughs> uh, no, but I, uh, I was just really excited to have him. Uh, I'm really excited to know where he came from and what he does. Um, I think when, we, when, you know, when we hired him, it was kind of, um, wow, now here we go. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know what he's done in Detroit. I know what he's done in Boston. Um, He's going to be the guy that comes in and, you know, hopefully, you know, flips our organization and, you know, puts us on the on the right path to, to success. So um, I told him that as well. I said flat out exactly kind of what I just said to you, um, you know, how we brought you in, you know, what you did in Detroit, Boston, um, and just really excited to have you here. Um, so just really looking forward to, you know, how he works and what he, what he does and, you know, conversations that we can have. Um, and that's what he said, too. He goes, you know, if you have something for me, you know, talk to me about it or, or Sam and, uh, you know, we can go from there. So, And you could tell, you know, the kind of power that Bryce Harper has within this organization. And that's what happens when you get signed to the kind of contract and you have that kind of security that Bryce has. You know, when he signed that contract, you sign up for that kind of say. And it's clear that he has a a decent amount of say when the new team president is telling him, yeah, if there's something that you want to discuss, you know, we're interested in, then it's open lines of communication. It's not like that with every player. Certainly. Um, you can see it in football. I mean, it wasn't like that with Carson Wentz and the Eagles, uh, where Carson didn't have that level of, of security, that level of, of input. Um, different sports, obviously, but, uh, you know, it's interesting to hear that and Bryce Harper uh, being almost in some ways like a, 
an executive as well as a player. I mean, that's something I guess that you have a right uh, to when you sign that kind of contract. But ultimately, I think a lot of this, and I think you do perhaps got to give Bryce Harper a little bit of credit for the offseason the Phillies had and the urgency that they showed um, because of his impact. And a lot of that goes to his relationship with John Middleton because I think John Middleton likes Bryce a lot and trusts Bryce a lot and wants to please Bryce, um, considering he made that kind of commitment to him. And Bryce obviously wanted this team to be aggressive in the offseason. Here is uh, Bryce Harper on his relationship uh, with the owner, John Middleton. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I don't think we were to that point yet. Uh, we still had a long offseason to go. And like I said, I, I put so much trust into John and kind of what he's doing. And um, for and I think he kind of was a little bit busy understanding or trying to figure out his front office and what he wanted to do. So um, once he did that, I remember texting him going, hey, I love what you're doing. Um, you know, here's a picture of Brooklyn and crew, like, hope you're well, Merry Christmas kind of stuff. So and he texted me back and um, – John's a guy that wants to win. He cares about his clubhouse. He cares about his team. He cares about the city of Philadelphia. Um, he wants to have, you know, success in all facets of the game. And he wants us to, you know, have success as players. And um, I know that he wants to bring a title back to Philadelphia and uh, do that again. Um, I know how much everybody loved 08, um, not so much 09. Love that run, um, but, you know, the killer um, in, the, in the World Series. Um, but, I mean, I think everybody wants to get back to that run. I mean, because you guys had such a great span of years um, with those teams. So, um, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting back there. And uh, I know that John wants to have, this, have that success as well. And, you know, we can as an organization if we put, you know, the right people out there. And, you know, while I've been critical of John Middleton and some of the moves he's made, some of the hires he's made, I do think he wants to win. And it's why I was, you know, pleased to see what he did this offseason. Because you do get the sense that he really does want to win and that at least he's willing to do what it takes. And, you know, that it wasn't just one offseason in 2019 to try to get fans in the ballpark. That year after year, this team is committed to spending. And, and to be honest, they have to be. Like, you, you don't want to laud them too much because they failed at their rebuild. So they're trying to spend their way out of it. And once you commit to going down that road, you got to fully commit. Because if you just try to spend one or two off seasons, that's not going to work. Because you don't have, as Bryce brought up earlier, the the types of prospects that you could bring up to, to fill your, your voids on your roster. So um, John Middleton's committed to this, and now he's going to have to continue uh, to spend. And Bryce Harper, obviously, wants to see that as well. Um considering he, he desperately wants to win. And, you know, you look back, and, and so far Bryce's, I guess, tenure in Philadelphia has been a little bit of a disappointment. Certainly last season was that the team didn't get in the postseason. Here's Bryce on the issues that the team had last year. Um, I think it would have helped, of course. Um, anytime, you know, any of your guys in your lineup go down, uh, it hurts. It's not good. Um, so... Um, I think there was a there was a couple things that happened last year, um, as you know, as you were watching, um, that weren't very good for any of us um, from our you know from our lineup to our defense to our bullpen. Um, so I mean, there, I think there was a couple things in uh, in line last year that uh, you know didn't you know put us over the top or anything like that. And hopefully, we can make those adjustments. And you know, it, it's it's. It's going to be uh, something that we're going to be watching closely, and hopefully the Phillies can make those adjustments. Hopefully they can hold up over 162. Uh, that was my main concern last year, 
And, you know, in the end, I thought a 60-game season would benefit them, but ultimately it did not. Um, and you hope that they can string together good years this year because, unfortunately, you wasted a really good year from Bryce last year, really good year from JT, um, a great stretch from Reese Hoskins before he got hurt. Uh, it sounds like Reese is going to be hopefully ready for opening day. That's certainly a positive um, because when Reese Hoskins gets hot, uh, he's a very dangerous hitter. Um, and when you look ahead to this season, uh, it's going to be difficult considering the division the Phillies are, are playing in, uh, but certainly uh, an opportunity uh, for, for them to, to compete considering what they did this offseason. When we get back, we'll look ahead to this season um, and give you some of Bryce's comments on how he feels about the Phil's chances in 2021. Uh, I'm Tom Kelly with you till 6 on a Sunday morning. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. In the next segment, we'll let you hear Joe Girardi's interview with Angelo and the morning team. Uh, go through some of the things that Joe had to say as we're doing a little uh, Phillies here with spring training fully getting underway this week. First full squad workouts. Uh, Bryce Harper reporting this week, and Bryce spoke uh, in, in, earlier in the week, and we played a, a few clips for you last segment about this offseason, looking back at last season. And now I want to hear some more from Bryce about Moving forward, because this is a critical year for this team and a critical year for Bryce in Philadelphia. Um, a lot of expectations coming in. I think he's been pretty good. Uh, maybe not to the level, not the MVP caliber level player that we hoped. Um, but Bryce Harper's been solid. He had a very good year last year. And, you know, considering what he does for you in terms of, of – leadership in terms of marketability, I think it's a signing. I don't think the Phillies in any ways uh, really regret, but there's no doubt that the team's success has not been what you have wanted. Uh, to go 500 the first year, essentially, slightly below. Um, to not make the playoffs last year, in a year you absolutely should have made the playoffs, and it just does bother me that the Phillies didn't. You know, the team's success hasn't been there. And this year is the third year of, of really this new era of Phillies baseball with Bryce, JT, um, and, and all the other big acquisitions they made in the 2019 offseason. And this now becomes a, a really important year for this team in terms of moving forward and getting that team success. And uh, here's Bryce Harper on the odds of this team making the playoffs and playing in, in a very challenging division like the National League East? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the best division in baseball. Um, I don't think that's even a question. Um, we have, you know, five teams in this. Is it, we have five teams or four in the division? Five, right? Five. <laughs> five teams in, in this division that um, are really good. Really good pitching, really good young pitching, good bullpens, um, good lineups. Um, I mean, so I think this is going to be a juggernaut of a division. Um, it's It's going to take the team that... Uh, stays healthy, the team that um, knows how to play baseball the best way, um, you know, beats the teams they need to um, and plays, you know, plays hard all year long and don't have the injuries or anything like that. Uh, the team that can do that in this division is going to, you know, be able to do that. And, um, 
you know, hopefully if we can put the put a right foot forward and um, have our lineup healthy all year and our pitch started pitching healthy all year, um, getting the revamp bullpen that we do, um, I think we'll be right there in the hunt and you know, hopefully we can do that. You know, I hope they will be. I mean, I, I was a little thrown off by Bryce not knowing how many teams are in the division. I mean, he played for two of them. <laughs> you know, you got the you, you played for for the for the Nats. You had the Phillies, and you know, obviously the Braves are at the top of the division every year. The Mets, everybody knows the Mets. You forget about the Marlins. I mean, they're the team that ruins your season every year. Like you should know of them. Um, but yeah, it's it's a challenging division without a doubt, and. It's why last year hurt so much with the additional wild card spots that the Phillies had another ve- another avenue to get in, other than winning their division. Because those wild card spots are difficult to get when there are only two of them, as there will be this year. And it must have been especially hard for Bryce Harper watching 2019, you know, and seeing his former team, the Washington Nationals, win a World Series after all the playoff failures that they had while he was in Washington. I don't think there's a direct correlation there or anything. I think it's more, you know, dumb luck than anything. Washington easily could have lost the wild card game that night to, to Milwaukee. Um, and, of course, the one game Josh Hader blows all year, and and they go on to win a World Series. Baseball postseasons are, are largely random, and it's why you just got to get in. It's why I, I disagree with John Middleton's opinion that, we, we're not going to go all in unless we got a chance to win the division. No, in baseball, any if you can get in the wild card, uh, get a playoff spot via wild card, you have as good a chance as anybody. Baseball playoffs are, are very random in that regard. Um, and it, it's got to be tough for a guy like Bryce who's gotten used to playing in October to not being there the last few years. Here's Bryce on uh, how he feels about not being in the postseason the last couple of years. I hate being home for Halloween. I can tell you that, um, you know, I think, uh, the town needs it. I mean, the city of Philadelphia, they deserve it. They need it. Um, we're a team that can hopefully do that for them. I can give that to them. Um, they deserve to be in the stands, um, you know, in October. And I know they're, they're wanting to do that. And, uh, you know, I think everybody sets goals and things like that, but it all starts down here right now. You know, we need to figure out who we are, what we, what we can do, um, how we can do it. And, uh, you know, take it one month at a time and, you know, get it going. And, you know, it, it is going to be a challenge uh, to to make the postseason this year for the Phillies. And, and, you know, you hear Bryce talk about that atmosphere and getting it back. And, you know, obviously he wasn't here for what it was in Philadelphia. But I think you could tell just watching those games, the environment down at that stadium. Man, the F- Phillies playoff games are or insane. I mean, it, I, I just remember being at that game two of the Milwaukee series in 08. That was the CC Sabathia game. And uh, that Brett Myers walk, like that stadium was as loud as any Eagles game. And, you know, I, I can't wait for that energy to get back. And, you know, that Phillies team had a very close connection with with the city. Um, and it's it's going to be... Uh, very exciting when that happens again. Hopefully it is this year. But it's kind of amazing for a guy like Bryce who's been in the playoffs so much with the Nationals, never won a playoff round. And here's more from Bryce Harper on uh, on never being able to get to the NLCS. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure. I think uh, we all play different sports, you know. So, um, I mean, LeBron's an incredible athlete. He takes over games. Same thing as Brady. He, he takes over games. And 
has guys around him that are incredible, offense, defense, things like that. And everything usually hits on, on the right cylinders for those guys. And, um, you know, there's no panic in their play or anything that they do. So you look up to guys like that because they, you understand how they work and their mentality and what they do on a daily basis. Um, and you hope to be there one day of, of winning World Series and championships and things like that. So, um, you know, I think baseball, uh, anything can happen just like any other sport. And sometimes, you know, the best team doesn't always win. You know, you've seen that a couple of years and the Dodgers finally put it forward and they won uh, this past year. Um, they've always, you know, they've had the best record in baseball and, you know, they've lost, but they've won, you know, series and things like that, but they ran into some great pitching or, um, you know, something like that. So I think anything can happen. Um, hopefully this year, uh, you know, our team and the Phillies can, um, you know, get back to where we need to be. And, you know, that's that's getting to the playoffs. Um, that's winning games and understanding what our identity wants to be for the next, you know, couple of years and not just one year or a span of two or three. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to postseason baseball. Um, I love postseason baseball. I love the mentality of it. Um, it's always a lot of fun. I think the fans are, um, you know, craving it so much and getting back into the ballparks. And, you know, what a great year to be able to get back into it and hopefully get into the postseason um, for the city of uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, and, and you know, you hear Bryce talk about some of the other greats and some of the other sports there and their playoff success because in a lot of ways that's who you get measured against. You know, your contemporaries in other sports. And um, for, for better or worse, Bryce Harper is compared to the greats in those other sports, and he's going to be viewed on his postseason success. I think it is more difficult in baseball, as you mentioned, that – it's much more of a team game, much less individual. Like in football, quarterback has a very large say on what happens. In basketball, the star player has an extremely large say on what happens. And baseball, it's just a lot different in that regard. But, um, you know, you're measured by team success. And no matter how much success Bryce Harper has as a player, he's going to be measured ultimately by what his teams do. And, and so far in his career, they have not uh, done enough uh, enough winning and here's more from Bryce on wanting to ultimately play for a world series championship. Yeah. I mean, if, I mean, that's everybody's ultimate goal. Um, you know, I think DeGrom said it the best the other day, he said that, um, you know, you have an ultimate goal of, of winning a world series and things like that, but also you have your individual goals that, you know, you said he wanted to be a Cy Young. I think he has a great chance to win a Cy Young, um, but you know, that's, that's the ultimate goal of getting to the world series. I think every guy says that when they get to spring training, is their ultimate goal as, as players and being teammates and things like that is to, to get into the World Series and play into the World Series and play into October. Um, but you have to get there. You have to have the right bullpen. You have to have the right starting pitching. Um, you know, you have to, everything has to be hitting on the right cylinder to get to you where, to get to where you need to be. And, you know, I think hopefully we can do that this year and, um, you know, get my name off that list, hopefully. And it really does have to all be, clicking at the right time and you can, I mean all you can, you need to know is is looking at the Phillies from that great run where was 2008 their best team no it, it probably wasn't I mean I'd say it was probably their third best team I think the 09 team was better offensively um even though you know they might have been better than the 09 team uh from a pitching standpoint just because of the difference in Hamels and Lidge and I've said this before it's it's so crazy that Hamels and Lidge were probably two of the biggest reasons they won in 08 and probably the two main reasons they lost in 09 uh, because as great as they were in 08, they were bad in 09. Um, and then the 2011 team, 
they were not as good offensively, but that pitching staff was just so insane that it's crazy the Phillies didn't win that year, but they were playing their best baseball in 08 come playoff time. And so many times that is is what it's about. And you hear Bryce so much of him wanting to play in the playoffs revolving around the atmosphere um, at Citizens Bank Park. And, and here's Bryce talking about just how nice it'll be this season. Just have fans hopefully back at the ballpark for opening day and, and increasing in volume as we move throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely tough. You know, I think it was, you know, most tough because we didn't have our families in the stands either. You know, I think being able to have your wife and your kids there, um, being able to perform in front of them is, is always fun. Um, and then, of course, this, the city of Philadelphia, having your fans in the stands, there's nothing better. Um, I think people are eager to go to ballparks, eager to go to sporting events um, to kind of get it back to what it was before. You know, I think uh, getting out of their houses and, and getting into the stadiums, if they, they feel safe and want to do it, um, then it's great for us. It's great for the game. Um, it's great for them as well. Uh, the mental capacity of putting people in stadiums is, is going to be so much fun for them. And uh, getting families back together in the summertime and, um, you know, seeing the fanatic again and stuff like that. It's just, it's such a, such a cool thing to think about. Um, I'm really excited to hopefully get them back in there and, you know, hopefully uh, the state of Pennsylvania can, can figure that out for us. Yeah, Bryce loves the fanatic. He always mentions the fanatic, but yeah, I mean, it will be nice. And hopefully uh, that's something that can, that can happen. And when you look at Bryce this year, you know, he dealt with that back injury last year, and it's a shame because he was playing really well up until that point, and that's something the Phillies are going to have to monitor closely this year and really move beyond. I mean, we're in the third year of a 13-year contract. Um, health is going to be really important for Bryce Harper. Here's his plan for managing uh, his health and especially that back injury moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't want to feel pain anymore, um, so I kind of, you know, we started it and uh, and got it going. Um you know, I took about a month and a half off, um, a little bit more than I usually do. Um, but I kind of just wanted it to rest and, you know, relax and things like that. So um, got on my program, what I kind of needed to do, um, locked in stuff that, um, you know, locked in my workouts and um, did a few things that I haven't done um, before. Um, so I, you know, got into January, got into February. Um, like you said, I came into camp a day late because I wanted to finish my week out. Um, you know, I worked out Monday through Friday. Um, so being able to finish my week out was, was really crucial for me. Um, then got into camp and we have a great program, um, of what I need to do and how I need to do it each day. So, um, I'm really looking forward to, you know, what we have going on, um, staying healthy and continuing to, uh, you know, stay healthy for, you know, the whole year. And that's going to be very important. And when you look back at last year, uh, it really was a correlation, between Bryce's drop-off in performance and his back issue and when it hit. And here is Bryce on how bad that back actually was last season. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys know how I am. Um, I don't want to complain about anything that I go through. Um, if it's that bad, then I'll stop playing. Um, but I thought we had a 30 game. We had 30 games left, you know what I'm saying? So I wanted to win. I wanted to take you know advantage of what we were doing. I wanted to stay in the lineup for my teammates and things like that. Um, but... I mean, it's uh, I couldn't throw a baseball, and I think that was you know that was that was tough for me. You know, I think you guys saw the last two weeks of the season. I finally was able to DH. Um, it kind of worked out for us where I could stay in the lineup and I could hit, um, and I wasn't feeling the pain because I wasn't throwing a baseball. Um, so I finally was able to uh, get over that pain. I've been throwing. 
um, which is great. I threw from the outfield today, which was awesome. Um, and I didn't feel it at all. Um, so I was very happy about that. Um, and then, you know, hit live today and also, you know, hit BP and stuff like that. So um, I feel really good where I'm at right now. Um, I just, like I said, I need to keep on top of things. Um, I need to understand how I'm working, um, my workload and stuff like that. Um, because, I mean, like you guys know, I want to play every day. Uh, I want to be able to perform every day as well and be smart performing every single day. Um, and they, you know, the Phillies and, you know, city of Philadelphia um, is going to need me to do that for us to win. So, No doubt about it. I mean, the Phillies absolutely need uh, Bryce Harper. And, you know, you look at, at his age and the fact that he's still relatively young, but, you know, approaching 30. Here's Bryce Harper on uh, how he views his uh, his peak years. You know, I think coming into every single year, um, you know, the older you get, the better you get, I believe. Uh, I mean, mentally on the field and things like that. Of course, you have to, you know, work a little bit harder on your body and, you know, how, how it can maintain throughout a 162 season. Um, but some guys, you know, a couple of years ago and things like that, they had their best years and their best year, you know, their best span of years uh, from the time they were 28 to 34. Um, so, I mean, I, I want to come in here. I want to be the best player I can. Um, and if I have success, hopefully the Phillies have success as well. And that's that's all I want. I just want to be able to win. I want to be able to, you know, bring hopefully a championship back to uh, to Philadelphia. And, you know, us as a team, as an organization, um, I know John also, um, we want that to happen. And we're going to try everything in our power to do that as an organization. And uh, that's what we want. I mean, at the end of the day, success as a team, except for or instead of a success as individuals, um, you know, that's how you get to where you need to be because it takes all of us. It doesn't just take one guy um, you know, plugging along. It takes all of us plugging along all year to, to get to where we need to be. And, you know, hopefully Bryce's peak is in front of him here as he moves forward. But, uh, you know, you look at where he is now compared to where Bryce Harper was early in his career. Uh, here he is talking about where he is at his current age compared to where he was in his early 20s. I mean, just the way I approach, I think, spring training and stuff like that, or even, you know, the year. Um, not swinging as much, not uh, not going too overboard of, with, you know, what I do, um, the way I work out in the offseason, the way I work out during season. Uh, you know, just trying to evolve over time of, you know, what, what's, you know, what works best for me as an individual. Um, you know, being able to understand, uh, you know, other players, how they tick, what they do, um, how to approach talking to people. Um, you know, I, I feel like I speak more free here in Philadelphia than I did prior. Um, you know, being able to talk to you guys and, you know, just be myself, I guess you can say, I think that's, that's always fun. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I, I love playing in Philadelphia too. You know what I'm saying? So I, I feel like I can, take advantage of that and, and be Bryce and just be myself here in Philadelphia. I've never, you know, they've never once said to me, calm down or do this or do that. We want you to be this type or that type. Um, they've kind of just let me, you know, be me. And uh, they've liked that as well. And I really appreciate the Philly organization for, for doing that for me. And Bryce Harper's been somebody who's ultimately come in here and connected with the fan base very quickly um, being himself and a personality that, that really fits with the city. Um, and I think will be uh, a very popular player here for years to come. But again, you know, as likable as he is, it's all going to come down to performance on the field and ultimately team performance. And um, hopefully this team can be better because the last two years have been 
very disappointing. Uh, 2019, a lot of expectations fell short. Last year, in a season I think Taylor made for the Phillies to not make the playoffs was was really embarrassing, for lack of a better word. And, you know, it, it is going to be a, a big challenge for them, but hopefully they're up to it because we need playoff baseball back in this city, uh, no doubt uh, about it. Next up, we'll let you hear Joe Girardi on with the morning show from Tuesday morning as we do a little more Phillies. And then uh, to close out the show, part two of Glenn and Ray's Tell Us Your Story with Al Michaels, which I was driving around Saturday and heard this, and I'm like, I got to play some of this on the show because uh, it was tremendous. Al Michaels, an iconic broadcaster. Uh, so that's what we got planned for the 5 o'clock hour coming up. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly as we kick off the final hour of the show here. Uh, in the final segment, we'll let you hear part two of Glenn and Ray's uh, Tell Us Your Story uh, with um, Al Michaels, very interesting guest. Uh, obviously, Al Michaels, iconic broadcaster. Uh, that's coming up at the, at the bottom of the hour. But first, um, I want to let you hear Joe Girardi joined the morning show earlier this week down from Clearwater. And what is a really big season for the Philadelphia Phillies and for Joe Girardi? I mean, Joe Girardi, I thought, uh, didn't have a great year last year. You know, and obviously there were roster issues that, are kind of beyond his control, but, um, you know, we talked about it a ton uh, on the show the last couple weeks, but, but you know, if you're holding everybody to the same standard, these are excuses that, that, that Gabe just wouldn't have gotten. And, again, I mean, I'm not I'm not in, in a staunch defender of Gabe Kapler. We like to play his, his sound clips because they're pretty funny, but, um, and I believed Gabe did deserve to get fired after 2019. I did, but... A lot of the excuses that that are made for Joe wouldn't have flied uh, with Gabe. And while the bullpen was not good last year, Joe Girardi, I thought, failed in, in a in a significant way, not pushing the right buttons, not finding a, a solution. You know, he kept throwing Brandon Workman out there to close games, game after game after game, and it blown save after blown save after blown save. And in the end, that probably cost Phillies a playoff spot. I mean, when you look at the fact that they missed out by one game in a 60-game season, I didn't think that he managed with enough urgency last year and and was slow to make necessary changes um, in regard to especially figuring out that bullpen and figuring out uh, what was going to work. So, uh you know, we'll we'll play you the Joe Girardi interview here. Then we'll dissect some of the things that he had to say. Uh, but obviously, a big year for Joe Girardi. Here is Joe Girardi with Angelo and the morning team from Tuesday. Ladies and gentlemen, it's always a great honor to have on our show the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, Joe Girardi. Hi, Joe. Good morning, Angelo. How are you, Joe? Can you help us out? We got more snow here. It's horrible up here. You're down in Clearwater. Could you just tell us what it's like right now there? Well, it's about 66 degrees. I think it's pretty sunny. Actually, it's we've had a lot of wind here, and we've had some rain. But um, I really believe the weather in Philly is going to start changing as I see 55 by the weekend and um, maybe a little 52 tomorrow. I mean, we can sign up for that, Angelo. I mean, we sign up for that opening day, 55 and sun. 
Absolutely. Uh, can you tell me, do you still love spring training when you're out there, Joe, all the years as a player, as a manager? Does it still get exciting for you when you see the start of the spring again? Oh, it definitely does. It, it means that we're getting to do what we love to do is what it means. Now, there are a lot of parts of spring training, Angelo, I don't like because in, in reality, you know, we have 50-plus people in, in camp. You know, we have another 20 in the mini camp, and I'm basically the Grim Reaper. Right. I mean, I end up sending a lot of people down and and, and it hurts. You know, I've been sent down and you always hope, you know, I mean, there's some young kids saying, well, if I could have just stayed one more week, it would have been great. Or that's the part of spring training I really dislike. And as you get near the end, it gets a lot tougher. I'll I'll bet it does. Joe, it was such a weird year last year with the COVID going and not that it's gone, but it's not what it was. Just tell me what that first season as the Phillies manager was like for you? You know, you just didn't feel like you could necessarily be yourself. Um, you you couldn't put your arms around people when you needed to. You, you couldn't have the, the conversations like you needed to because there was, I mean, there was so much that we were expected to do and to socially distance and wear a mask. And, and it was just, it was really a lot different. Um, I think that we all have a better understanding of, of what we can do and what we can do and, and how we can do things. And I think it's obviously a lot easier this time going through it the second time. But there were so many question marks last year when we were going through the season. I think, you know, and, and it's not a bad thing. We were all a little paranoid. Um, and we all really kept our distance from each other. And what I realized is, you know, you just have to be protected in a sense. You know, you're wearing your mask, you're washing your hands all the time and doing those things. And I, I want to be, you know, in a sense, a, a lot more hands-on. Last year, you know, we really couldn't be. Um, but this year I think we can be more that way. And I think it's going to change as the season goes on and more vaccines get out. And it's just going to get better and better. Where last year we didn't know. And now we have something to look forward to. Well, Joe, I, I, when you first were hired, I said one thing about Joe Girardi. He's a great strategist. And I don't think we really got to see the full ability you have of managing a bullpen because you had a really bad bullpen, historically bad. Um, you had 10 years in New York with some great – you had Rivera as your closer. What was it yeah. like walking out to the mound, Joe? I was watching well, you and I was going, my God, I don't think there's any good choices. What was that like for you? You know, it was it was difficult at times, but but the guys, the effort was there, the preparation was there. Angela, I I really believe we could have told hitters what was coming and we would have fared better. I I, I really believe that. I mean, I just think it was one of those stretches, you know, for about thirty days, where it just seemed like nothing went right, and whoever we brought in, it didn't go right, and. I felt for those guys. My heart hurt for those guys because they were trying and we were trying different things and we were trying different combinations and it just didn't work. So, you know, when, when, when I look at this year, you know, I like the stable of arms we got. My goal by the time we leave spring training is we have a ninth inning guy. We maybe have two eighth inning guys, a right-hander and a left-hander if we have to. And the roles are a lot more defined. Um, we kind of had roles in, in the beginning of last year and then we struggled and we made all the changes and we brought a lot of guys in that have had a lot of success other places. And for whatever reason, they weren't having success with us. 
and we couldn't define those roles, and it became difficult. Absolutely. Joe, you know a contender. You won championship. You know what it is. Is this one? I like our team. I, you know, I like it a lot. Um, but, again, we're on paper, and we're in bullpens, and we're taking batting practice, and we have to go out and prove it every day. But, you know, I look at the areas that we really struggled last year. I mean, it was really in our, in our bullpen. Um, and I think it was in our rotation pitching depth. And we've added a lot to that. I, I think Dave and Sam and, and their staff have done a wonderful job in giving us arms and giving us different options. Now we have to go get it done. I'm excited about Dave Dombrowski being in charge. What's it like? What's he oh, like? Oh, it's it is high energy, right? I mean, I mean, I don't know how he did it. I, I think he went from like six to midnight every day since he got here. You know, trying to be in touch with all the other GMs, trying to talk to agents, trying to talk to his whole staff here. I mean, you're talking 200 people. Um, and he just – he loves the game. He loves putting teams together. And he's been really successful. I mean, his track record is fantastic. And uh, I've I loved working with him. Uh, and I'm excited about the future of the Phillies, you know, with what he's done and him adding. And, and you look at a lot of the additions – it's not like it ties us up for a long time. I, I just think he's really bright, and uh, he's done this, and he has a ton of experience, and he's going to be really good for us. How many jobs are, are going to be won or lost in spring training? Obviously, a lot of guys like Harper are locked in. Are there guys really vying for starting jobs in the spring? Oh, sure. Um, I think you're looking at center field. I think you're looking at you know extra infielder, extra outfielder. I think you're looking at – bullpen pieces all over the place. I think you're looking at the fourth and fifth starters. So there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of competition in our camp. But, I mean, I I think most people will tell you competition brings out the best in people. And that's what we're going to see in our spring training. All right. I'm worried about center field because I am not a fan of Odubel Herrera. Could he win a starting job this year in spring training? You know, Angelo, we're going to look – at everyone now he's in the mini camp but at some point just because of the numbers he's going to get a chance probably to play right i mean that's just reality because we can't run these guys out there every day to begin with some guys may not start in the beginning um but he has a chance to to prove himself and now when i say prove himself not only does he have to prove himself on the field because he struggled the end of 218 he struggled in 219 didn't play in 2020 He's got to prove himself to his teammates. He's got to prove himself to the fans, to the organization, that he deserved a second chance. And, you know, our, our country is a lot about second chances in life. And I understand, you know, what, what he, he did is really hard to, to see and forgive, and, and, and I get that. You know, I understand that. I've been married 31 years, and uh, my wife and I have a great relationship, and, and I understand. And you know, there's going to be some people that can never forgive him. And I understand that too, right? Because there are circumstances that people have went through in their lives that shaped their opinion. And that's the beauty of our country. Everyone has a right to their own opinion. Um, but he's got a lot of proven to do. Uh, he has been a model citizen. He came into camp in great shape. You know, he works very hard. He's on time. He's, you know, he's hungry. So, I mean, we're going to see what happens. Fair enough, Joe. Joe, um, real Muda, I know, I mean, you're a catcher. You know how great he is. How worried were you he would not be back with you this year? Well, I was a little concerned. Um, 
you know, I knew our desire for, you know, for, for John and, and the Buck family to bring him back and everyone in the organization to bring him back. But when you get out on the free agent market, there's 29 other teams that are probably really interested in, in you when you're JT Rio Muto. Now, maybe some teams couldn't afford him and maybe some teams have a catcher that they like, but when you're the best out there, it's worrisome, right? Because it only takes one team to come out and say, well, we're going to give you this. And all of a sudden everything kind of blows up. But, you know, I, I saw our determination to bring him back, and, and I credit our owners, you know, because they went through hard times last year, right? And and But they stepped up big time. Now it's our turn to step up and reward them. A, a guy who stepped up as a leader, a really a good leader, has been Bryce Harper. Can you tell us what it's like? You've dealt with a lot of superstars, Joe, as a manager. What's it like with Harper? Uh, the guy just loves to play, and he loves to play hard, and he, and he just – you know, he's in the clubhouse talking to his teammates all the time, and, and he comes to work every day. You know, I think what was so amazing to me is how regimented he is. And, and not that a lot of people aren't, but I didn't really know much about Bryce. But Bryce has a plan every day, what he wants to get done, when he wants to get it done, and this is what he needs to accomplish, and he goes and sets out and does it. And you know, it's no mistake that he's a great player because, of you know, I look at his work ethic and how he goes about his business. But until you get around someone, you don't really know that. And uh, that's what I've been most impressed by. All right. Now, Joe, two quick last things. First of all, the over-under for your team is 81 and a half, and I think you're way better than that. You're better than an 81-win team this year, no? I believe so. Way better. I, I mean – yeah, I, I and I know our players believe so. But again, Angela, we got to go out and do it on the field. It's one thing to have belief. You just got to go out and do it. And people are going to, you know, make predictions all the time. Um, that's the business they're in. We're in the business of going out and winning ball games, and that's what we need to do. Joe, last thing. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl. He won a championship here. You know what it, that means in our city. And then he got fired. Why in God's name did Joe Girardi select this line of work? <laughs> because I love the relationships. I love the strategy of the game. Um, and I think what I love the most, Angelo, is seeing players have success. And um, in my line of work, you get to see that a lot. Now, there are some things I really don't like about my job, like I don't like wearing a hat. It's not a real good business to be in. Um, I would prefer to be in jeans and a sweatshirt on, uh, you know, on the field, but that's not going to happen either. But that's all part of it. But I just love what I do. Seriously, Joe, you don't like to wear a hat. That's why <laughs> I, I love you. That's why I love you. You have a nice head of hair. You don't want to hide it, right? It's not that. I just think they're uncomfortable. And some <laughs> people love wearing them, but I don't like it. Joe, Joe, you're awesome, man. Nothing but success this year. Thank you for doing this today. I really appreciate Thanks. it. Angelo, have a, a great day, and I, I hope warmth is coming your way. <laughs> Joe, thank you. Joe Girardi right. from Clearwater. Thanks, Joe. And that was Joe Girardi on with the morning show. A lot of interesting things that he had to say, and we'll start with one that, that uh, we were joking about earlier on this week. Uh, but, you know, I, I thought, and this is something I, I, I totally agree with Joe Girardi on, where he says, you know, he's not crazy about wearing a hat. I think that part of it is is just pretty funny considering you're in baseball and you're literally wearing a hat all the time. I, I mean, I guess 
you would get tired of it after a while. Um, but one thing I, I absolutely agree with Joe Girardi is when he says, you know, yeah, I wish I could manage in a sweatshirt and jeans. He should be able to. Like, it is the dumbest thing in the world that baseball managers wear a uniform. And I know we talked about this earlier this week. I just can't get over the stupidity. Like, I imagine Doc Rivers in, you know, a tank top and and shorts, you know, uh, uh, whether, you know, Andy Reid in uh, football pants and a a jersey. Um, It's just so stupid that baseball managers and coaches wear uniforms. I've never understood it. Um, And I feel like it should be optional. If you want to wear the uniform, then great, wear the uniform. If you want to go in jeans and a a hoodie, go in jeans and a hoodie. Uh, As long as you got, like, the team signage on there, uh, I don't think that's a problem. But I thought that was pretty pretty funny that Joe Girardi mentioned that as the one thing uh, that he doesn't love uh, about his job. But as far as some of the more important things, that Joe Girardi had to say, and, you know, we heard Bryce Harper a little earlier talk about Dave Dombrowski and his influence on this team and the job that he has done so far. Uh, Here's Joe Girardi talking about the influence um, and the effect that Dave Dombrowski's had in his short time in the Phillies organization. It is high energy. I mean, I don't know how he did it. I I think he went from, like, 6 to midnight every day since he got here you know, trying to be in touch with all the other GMs, trying to talk to agents, trying to talk to his whole staff here. I mean, you're talking 200 people. Um, and he just – he loves the game. He loves putting teams together. And he's been really successful. I mean, his track record is fantastic. And uh, I've I loved working with him. Uh, and I'm excited about the future of the Phillies. And, you know, Dave Dombrowski did a, a tremendous job. And it, an offseason that looked like it could be going off the rails. I mean, let, let's let's face it. There was a lot of pessimism amongst the fan base and part of the media as far as re-signing JT Romito, um, as far as what you could get him for. You know, I was always for re-signing JT if you could get him at a reasonable, reasonable price. I was not going to go too high for JT Romito. I don't think that would have made sense. Um, for an aging catcher, still in his prime, but who knows how long that prime's going to last, that is a demanding position in which if you're not like Yadier Molina, who was kind of defies time a little bit, uh, that stuff can can go quickly. Um, and for a guy with already with injury issues, I thought that could be a risky move. But in the end, the Phillies get Real Muto for what I think is a very reasonable price. I mean... $115 million over five years. That's kind of the going rate for a guy like JT. Um, and Dave Dombrowski did a great job in that regard. You bring back D.D. Gregorius, who added the bullpen, Archie Bradley, Jose Alvarado, who if he can bounce back and be health and stay healthy this year, he's going to be a really important piece of this team. I mean, he is a nasty left-hander who uh, can be utilized against left-handed pitching. And the Phillies, I feel like for years, have really been – short on lefties, both in the rotation and in the bullpen. I mean, last year, you had Jose Alvarez did a pretty nice job for his unfortunate injury. Uh, if you remember that, took a line drive in a place you do not want to take a line drive. Um, I don't know if he was wearing uh, protective gear, uh, but still, it probably hurts. Um, and 
you know, the Phillies have been short on left-handers for a while. They had Adam Morgan, but Adam Morgan's extremely unreliable. And, uh, you know, to bring in a guy like Alvarado, if he can get lefties out and stay healthy, uh, he's going to be a really important addition to that bullpen. And I'm excited to see uh, what he can bring um, when this season gets underway. But this is a, a situation where this team, you know, there are some positions that are really interesting to watch, whether it be center field, you know, whether it be second base, where it seems pretty obvious that Gene Segura is likely to be the guy there. And Segura, I actually thought, had a pretty good season last year. I thought I thought it was certainly better than his first season as a Philly, and not even in terms of the McCutcheon stuff. I, I thought way too much was made over that. I think, in general... Um, you know, guys don't run hard on pop-ups, and I was never outraged at Segura really over that. Uh, but he was a much more reliable hitter last year. Um, but, you know, Scott Kingery's in the mix there, and, you know, you're going to, I guess, try to find Kingery playoff, playing time um, if you still have not given up on him at this point. Uh, and I don't think the Phillies have, uh, considering the contract that they gave him. But there are positions um, that are going to be up for grabs, positions in the rotation. I think at this point you really only have three guys in the rotation that are secure going into spring training, which are Nola, Wheeler, and uh, Zach Eflin. And then the fourth and fifth spot um, are up for grabs. Here's Joe Girardi on those jobs uh, and which uh, ones will be um, up for grabs come spring training. Oh, sure. Um, I think you're looking at center field. I think you're looking at you know extra infielder, extra outfielder. I think you're looking at bullpen pieces all over the place. I think you're looking at the fourth and fifth starters. So there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of competition in our camp. But, I mean, I I think most people will tell you competition brings out the best in people. And that's what we're going to see in our spring training. And, you know, I I think that that is an important factor in all this, is is you want guys to to compete. And I think it's it's at least comforting that the Phillies have a deep enough roster where you have legitimate competition. Um, and one of the more interesting spots here is center field, where you got Adam Hazley, who was a little up and down last year. Hazley's got to find a way to stay healthy. Same with Roman Quinn, who Roman Quinn has been battling injury his entire time in Philadelphia. And I think it's the two things that those guys really need to, to you know, I don't know if you can really say figure out, because it's not something you can just figure out how to stay healthy, but uh, you hope that they can be more healthy moving forward. But then there's Odubel Herrera, who has not played for the Phillies in about a year and a half. Um, and, you know, we know what Odubel can do on the field. Frustrating player at times, uh, but a talented player. Um, the domestic abuse uh, situation he was involved in um, happened I th- in 2019. He hasn't played for the Phillies since. And, uh, you know, he is in Philly's camp, and he will apparently have an opportunity. Here's Joe Girardi on Odubel Herrera and his chance to make the team. We're going to look at everyone. Now, he's in the minicamp, but at some point, just because of the numbers, he's going to get a chance probably to play, right? I mean, that's just reality because we can't run these guys out there every day to begin with. And, you know, he sounds kind of noncommittal on Odubel there, and it's a polarizing situation. And uh, the Phillies are really in a spot now where, and I know the issues they have with the MLBPA, but 
you're at a point now where it makes no sense to just keep this guy in AAA and not do anything with him. If you're not going to play him, I'm fine with that. I'd actually prefer that. But if you're not going to do that, then just release him. Seriously. Outright release him. You know, uh, the MLBPA can file whatever they want to file, but the Phillies certainly have, I think, a case to just say, yeah, he's, he's not one of our 25 best players. And there's no point to keeping him in AAA and, pay, and, you know, keep him in our organization, so we're going to release him. And I, I think you either you're at the point where you either need to do that or you need to give him a legitimate opportunity here. As I said, I would prefer to release him, but if he's going to be in your organization, you got to give him a, a chance to make the roster, or else it's all just pointless. So we'll see how that situation plays out. But spring training, you know, is something that that is. A yearly um, event that that people enjoy, and I'm sure the players and coaches really enjoy it as well, got cut short uh, last year, obviously, due to the COVID situation um, last uh, March, right right around the middle of March. Um, And here's Joe Girardi on his feelings on spring training. Oh, it definitely does. It it means that we're getting to do what we love to do is what it means. Now, there are a lot of parts of spring training, Angelo, I don't like because in, in, in reality, you know, we have, 50-plus people in, in camp. You know, we have another 20 in the mini camp, and I'm basically the Grim Reaper, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I end up sending a lot of people down, and, and, and it hurts. You know, I've been sent down, and you always hope, you know. I mean, there's some young kids saying, well, if I could have just stayed one more week, it would have been great. Or it, it, That's the part of spring training I really dislike, and as you get near the end, it gets a lot tougher. Yeah, and Joe Girardi talks about that. I always think about the, uh, the scene from Major League where, you know, there's the, the red card that they leave in guys' lockers and then Roger Dorn plays that uh, prank on uh, on Rick Vaughn. Uh, as you can see, I have pretty deep knowledge of this movie, um, and that leads to a whole fight. That's a great movie, by the way. But, yeah, it's got to be tough to, to be that grim reaper, in a sense, that Joe Girardi talks about as far as sending guys down um, because, you know, you're killing guys' dreams. You know, there are a lot of guys that they get sent down, they – that that might be it for their baseball career. Like they may never get another opportunity uh to 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 play in the majors and you think especially last year you feel so bad for the minor leaguers who didn't get to play and they're behind the eight ball and and you know that is a real disadvantage uh, for guys. I don't know how these guys stayed in in not just shape but but as far as it's not the easiest thing to go out and just find live pitching to see and and do all those things, and it's it's like a year of your prime that, that is lost. So it'll be interesting to see how a lot of those minor leaguers rebound from a lost season last year. But when you look at the Phillies, obviously, as I mentioned at the top, Joe Girardi's first season with the Phillies did not go as planned um, in any sense. And here was Joe talking about some of the frustrations of last year. You know, you just didn't feel like you could necessarily be yourself. Um, you You couldn't put your arms around people when you needed to you, you couldn't have the the conversations like you needed to because there was i mean there was so much that we were expected to do and to socially distance and wear a mask and and it was just it was really a lot different um i think that we all have a better understanding of of what we can do and what we can do and and how we can do things and i think it's 
obviously a lot easier this time going through it the second time. But there were so many question marks last year when we were going through the season. I think, you know, and, and it's not a bad thing. We were all a little paranoid. Um, and we all really kept our distance from each other. And what I realized is, you know, you just have to be protected in a sense. You know, you're wearing your mask, you're washing your hands all the time and doing those things. And I, I want to be, you know, in a sense, a, a lot more hands-on. Last year, you know, we really couldn't be. Um, but this year I think we can be more that way. And I think it's going to change as the season goes on and more vaccines get out. And it's just going to get better and better. Where last year we didn't know. And now we have something to look forward to. And it must have been a challenge to, to, to adjust on the fly like that. And it was for every team in, in every sport. And you hope there is more of a sense of normalcy this year. And hopefully that helps uh, this team improve and be better. But obviously, you look back at that 2020 season, it's looked at as a lot lost opportunity. It really is. Because the team hadn't been to the playoffs now in 10 years. Um, last year was a great opportunity considering the expanded playoff shortened season, I thought should have lended to help a team like the Phillies. But when you look at it, it was a missed opportunity, mainly because of the bullpen. And here is Joe Girardi on uh, those bullpen issues from 2020. You know, it was it was difficult at times, but, but the guys, the effort was there. The preparation was there. And July, I really believe we could have told hitters what was coming and we would have fared better. I, I, I really believe that. I mean, I just think it was one of those stretches, you know, for about 30 days where it just seemed like nothing went right. And whoever we brought in, it didn't go right. And I felt for those guys. My heart hurt for those guys because they were trying and we were trying different things and we were trying different combinations and it just didn't work. So, you know, when, when, when I look at this year, you know, I like the stable of arms we got. My goal by the time we leave spring training is we have a ninth-inning guy. We maybe have two eighth-inning guys, a right-hander and a left-hander if we have to, and the roles are a lot more defined. Um, we kind of had roles in, in the beginning of last year, and then we struggled, and we made all the changes, and we brought a lot of guys in that have had a lot of success other places, and for whatever reason, they weren't having success with us, and we couldn't define those roles, and it became difficult. And that was a major issue. And part of that is, as I mentioned, on Joe Girardi. He's got to do a better job of defining those roles and figuring out who can pitch in those roles and adjusting. Like, I don't think he did a good enough job adjusting last year when a lot of these guys were were struggling. Part of that's on him. Part of that's on the front office for not being quicker to go to the minors. Like a guy like Connor Brogdon, who struggled his first time up, um, goes out for a little bit, comes back the final week and was um, impressive. But, you know, maybe you could have gone back to him earlier. Maybe that would have gotten you a playoff spot. You know, maybe you could have, you know, moved somebody to the bullpen from the rotation. But the Phillies have to figure out a way to be better in that regard this year, or it's going to be much the same as last year. They obviously made some additions, but part of that is pushing the right buttons as well. And I think that is incumbent on Joe Girardi to figure out which guys are good in certain uh, positions. But you look now at 2021, and this team is under pressure to an extent. I mean, it's a difficult division. The Phillies, I think at this point, are probably the fourth best team. I'll do my research, and we'll do our preview in a couple weeks here. But 
they have not made the playoffs. If they don't make this year, it'll be a decade. And that is too long for a franchise like this that we had talked about as being maybe the next, you know, the, the NL version of, of the Yankees. We were talking about that back in 09, 10, 11, as far as this team could just spend a ton of money and, and um, sell out all the time and always be competitive. It hasn't worked out that way. Uh, but they are under pressure considering the money they are spending to win now. They are. And here's Joe Girardi on if he sees his team as a true contender. I like our team. I, you know, I like it a lot. Um, but, again, we're on paper and we're in bullpens and we're taking batting practice and we have to go out and prove it every day. But, you know, I look at the areas that we really struggled last year. I mean, it was really in our, in our bullpen. Um, and I think it was in our rotation pitching depth. And we've added a lot to that. I, I think Dave and Sam and, and their staff have done a wonderful job and giving us arms and giving us different options. Now we have to go get it done. And you had a very honest answer and very truthful answer, and it, it is the case. Phillies do got to go out and get it done. And, you know, you look at the odds, they are not viewed all that favorably. I believe the over-under is 81.5. That's 500 team. Here's Joe Girardi on whether he believes this is better than a 500 ball club. I believe so. Way better. I mean, yeah, I, I and I know our players believe so. But again, Angela, we got to go out and do it on the field. It's one thing to have belief. You just got to go out and do it. And people are going to, you know, make predictions all the time. Um, that's the business they're in. We're in the business of going out and winning ball games, and that's what we need to do. And that's exactly right. And you know, hopefully the Phillies can, and hopefully it's a better year, better outcome than last year. I would love to see this team back in the playoffs. Of all the sports, man, I. Playoffs in every sport, the the intensity gets ratcheted up. But, man, playoff baseball, there's something about it. it you know, I don't know if it's that the game is, is slower. It, gives, it builds up more intensity. But, man, I'm just watching those Phillies playoff games uh, from 07 to 11, which is really the only era I remember the Phillies making the playoffs. I don't remember 93. I was, like, five, six years old at the time, six years old at the time. So... Um, you know, I really only remember those five seasons of the Phillies making the playoffs, and man, it was nerve-wracking watching those games, but uh, would love to feel those feelings uh, again. So that was Joe Girardi on with the morning show, some of the things that he had to say. When we get back, we'll let you hear part two of Glenn and Ray's Tell Us Your Story with Al Michaels. Fascinating, fascinating interview. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WYP. Justin, over to Ramsey. The Olympianoff gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Well, I know I've heard that hundreds of times. I think our guest, Al Michaels, has probably heard it or had people mention it to him forever it is of course the end of the miracle on ice u.s win over the ussr not the russians at the time the ussr and al there's so much to unpack on that i don't know what i can ask you that hasn't been asked but i imagine that going into that day that game you and kenny dryden had no idea that all these decades later it would be what it is yeah first of all we had no idea that the u.s could win the game and our hotel was just a few blocks from the arena. The game started at 5 o'clock, and I know Ken and I walked over from the hotel at about 2.15. 
And I remember part of the conversation was me saying to Ken, who had just retired after winning in a multiple Stanley Cups and Vezina trophies with the Canadians, the best we could hope for would be 3-1 Soviets midway through the second period. Uh, what we really feared, or I really feared, was 5 nothing Soviets 12 minutes into the game. Uh, Kenny and I had been to the Soviet Union about three months prior. We watched a tournament called the Izvestia Tournament, which featured all of the Olympic teams except the U.S. team. And we watched the Soviets, and Kenny had played against them, so he knew what, what they were all about. But I, it was hockey like I had never seen it. Uh, they made it look so simple. Uh, of course, the rink is so much wider than it is in the NHL. The cross-ice passing was beautiful. They were so much faster than any team. I mean, they they were the best team in the world. They were. And going up against a bunch of, you know, pretty much college kids, uh, good good hockey players, but college kids. Average age for the U.S. team was 22. You know, the Soviets were listed as students and and soldiers, but they were professional hockey players. That's what they did 11 months uh, of the year. So we thought, you know, just if the game can stay, if it sounds close, we'll keep an audience. And then, of course, we, you know, we walk into uh, an amazing game. And I look back at that game, too, and you know, what people forget is the U.S. trailed three times in the game. How often does a team trail one nothing, 2-1, 3-2, tie it, Get outshot 39-16. Two and a half to one, they're outshot and win the game. So that whole thing was so surreal. It was almost an out-of-body experience. And um, here we are 41 years later. And, of course, Mike Arruzzioni's made an entire career about, you know, going out on the road and doing these great speeches, and people love it. Because I've done a whole bunch of them with him through the years, and, and people can't get enough of it. And Mike and I just, you know, laugh like crazy every time we talk about, man, oh, man, we've dined out on this thing for 40 years. Who could have believed that? <laughs> so we knew when this thing happened, you knew it was big, but everything has a shelf life. But to have a shelf life of four decades and not, you know, not slowing down either. I mean, the 50th anniversary, uh, hope I'm around to, to see this baby, uh, <laughs> will be just as big. Because uh, it was a moment in time that uh, it would be very hard to recapture all of the elements that went into making that um, what it was. Yeah, I, you know, our our, our mutual friend David Israel uh, was was mm -hmm. there, uh, and he was writing for the paper in Washington at that time. And in the press box before the game, David made the famous statement that he stood up and said, "Gentlemen, tonight." There will be cheering in the press box, <laughs> was, was, was what he said. Uh, and I, I think it pretty much summed up the feeling. But I just wonder if you could tell people now um, and, and, try to con and try to capture what was the feeling in the building that night before face-off? Because I think everybody kind of shared the feeling that you and Kenny had, which was this had the chance to be a total rout. But when you walked in there, the emotion in that building and the USA-USA chant that began long before the game actually started – uh, it must have been one of the most incredible atmospheres that you've ever worked in. It was very, it was odd in so many ways because early in the game, the Soviets were, were, were dominating time of possession. The puck was in the U.S. end, and they scored. So there's a little bit of the bloom uh, off the anticipatory rose, you might say, at that point. The game started out, remember, it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. People are still filing in. Um, and, okay, you know, what, what can happen tonight? But the Soviets took control early on. 
Then when Bush Schneider scored to tie the game, yeah, now, okay, everybody's back into it. But then the Soviets quickly get another goal, so it's 2-1. to one. And then when Mark Johnson scores, as the clock goes to 0-0-0, zero, 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 and you're not even sure it's going to, to, to stay, uh, but it didn't. There's no replay in those years, but he scored. It counted. And then the place went crazy, which leads us into intermission. So now uh, you've got the 15-minute intermission. Now you come back out. The second period was completely dominated by the Soviets. I think they outscored the U.S. Uh, or outshot the U.S. something like 16 to three. The puck was always in front of Jim Craig. Craig kept the U.S. team in the game. Made save after remarkable save, standing on his head. You know he kept them in the game because once it gets to be a two-goal game, it's probably over. But at one goal, okay, you still have a chance. But the second period, you know, the crowd wanted to get into it, but the Soviets didn't let the crowd get into it. Third period pretty much starts out the same way, but then the U.S. gets a power play. Now all of a sudden everybody's excited. Mark Johnson scores a tying goal. Now you're going. Now, now the building is going crazy. You got about 11 and a half minutes to go in the game, and then when Aruzioni scores, I mean it's a volcanic eruption. And now the building is shaking. We are on a uh, in the front of the balcony and a um, on a wooden platform, <clears throat> kind of a ramshackle platform, and it is bouncing up and down and moving left and right. And man, I thought the thing was going to collapse at one point because the last ten minutes were just crazy. And you can imagine everybody's in full throat, flags are waving, chanting all over the place, screaming, yelling, the whole thing. And uh, and then at the end of the game, it was just it was it was insanity uh no other way to to describe the feeling in that building it was it was tremendous um but it, it was a game it was it was such an interesting thing in the sense that the soviets because of that 39 to 16 shot differential and and dominating ice time and dominating possession time and dominating where the game was being played didn't let the crowd get into it fully until midway through the third period well, the very end is your call, and it's the five-word question followed by the excitement, the, the yes. Uh, I, I imagine you had no idea at the time, because you were, you were doing it on emotion, and it was genuine and it was real, uh, that it would become this iconic. All these years later, uh, I imagine, and by the way, we are, uh, we are in the week where to celebrate mm-hmm. the anniversary of this. I imagine a day doesn't go by where somebody doesn't mention it to you. It's mentioned a lot, and of course, I play a lot of golf. And if somebody, you know, makes a uh, <laughs> my opponent makes a fifteen, twenty foot putt, they want they want me to you know bellow it again. <clears throat> Sometimes I'll make that putt and I'll do it. Uh, I'll uh, you know, I'll, I'll do a little self aggrandizement. <laughs> but uh, what I love about it is it, it's mentioned to me a lot, and I really love when maybe a father who's old enough to remember it or a grandfather and there's a kid in tow and you know the kid wasn't born when when that happened but you know the kid knows the story and uh you know the father's told it's it's a it's a great bedtime story and the father's told the kid the stories the kid understands and and then they want to talk about it and it's 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 so great because i've always said that you know there are a lot of things we remember in our lifetime and you know clearly if you're old enough you remember pearl harbor how terrible it was Kennedy gets assassinated. Bobby Kennedy gets assassinated. Martin Luther King gets assassinated. The Challenger blows up. Oklahoma City, 9-11. <clears throat> you know, most recently, obviously, 
the Capitol riot. You think about all those things. We remember and we remember where we are or where we were. This is the only good thing. Everything mm-hmm. else was terrible. Yeah. Everything else was terrible. So this is a great memory when people talk about you know Kennedy getting assassinated, the challenge or whatever. Terrible moments. This was a fantastic moment. It's the only one, and we're you know everybody through the years. I can't tell you, you know the thousands of times people have said I know exactly where I was and oh the whole thing how I felt about it and. You know, there were a lot of ways, I think, that it has been described through the years, but uh, when Sports Illustrated uh, made that team the Sportsman of the Year, put them on the cover, at uh, the year-end issue, and Ed Swift did the story, and toward the end of it he said, it made you want to hug your television set. And I thought that was beautiful. Because you know, you wanted to reach out and just hug those guys is what you really wanted to do. And uh, that was my favorite line to, to sum up uh, what took place in Lake Placid that night. There is so much uh, to cover. We're, there's no way we're going to get to it all, but there's a couple of things that we really need to get in. And one is October 1989, when you're in San Francisco before Game 3 of the World Series between the Giants and the A's with uh, Tim McCarver and Jim Palmer, as I recall, doing the intros for the game or the setup for the game, and then the earthquake hits. Um, I remember seeing it on TV. I think we all do. You you um, you start talking, and I think you say, "I tell you what, we're having an earthquake." The feed cuts out. What was it like for you? How scared were you? Well, number one, uh, you're working in an intense state of concentration. We're on camera. We're opening up the World Series, so you know you're you just want to make sure you get off to a clean start. You're a horse coming out of the starting gate. You don't want to stumble. And I'm going back and forth. You know, we, we, we had rehearsed it. I'm going to go to Tim. Tim's going to narrate some video from the game on Sunday night, the game two. Then I'm going to go to Jim. So, we're, you know, you're thinking about a lot of things. And then all of a sudden, as somebody who has lived a good part of my life in California, when it begins to shake, just for one brief moment, I thought it was maybe a bunch of kids banging bats uh, above us, because we're in the mezzanine level, the upper deck is right above us, and it felt as if uh, they were banging bats on the ground on the on the floor of the upper deck, and then all of a sudden we began began to move. So I knew exactly what it was, and it's one of those whoa moments where, when you live through an earthquake, you know what it is, but then the the scarier part is: is it going to get worse? Is it going to get more violent? Is it going to calm down? How long is it going to go? And I was, you know, in bed in Los Angeles in the the one in '94, and that baby went for over a minute, and that one had diagonals in it. I mean, you were going up and down and sideways, and that was beyond frightening. San Francisco, I remember, it, it only lasted 15 seconds, even though it seems a lot longer because you can't wait for that baby to stop. But I remember going. Uh, horizontally, we're going back and forth and back, not going up and down. Up and down is where when it really gets scary, uh, and it stopped. And then, you know, you knew it was an earthquake, but then you don't know: Are we sitting on top of a 2.4 earthquake? Was it right underneath us? Was it a gigantic earthquake someplace else? And we, we, we're we're getting, you know, uh, the feeling from 150 miles away. As it turned out, that earthquake was about 80 or 90 miles away. So it was a big one. Uh, we, we obviously felt it. You're in the stadium at that time. And, of course, in those years, there's no Twitter feed 
cable television is still relatively in its infancy. There's no way to get immediate information in an enclosed stadium. And people, you know, you heard the oohs and the ahs and the, and the rest of it and the players and a lot of other folks come out onto the field and the wives join the husbands there and they're kind of looking around, seeing what's going on. And, of course, you know, you're also waiting for an aftershock. But uh, because nobody really knew the extent of it, uh, the game was supposed to start at about 528, 529, somewhere in that area. And I would say at about 522, 23, the crowd starts to chant, play ball, play ball. They had no idea what had really taken place outside. That took a while for that information to get inside the stadium. So nobody really knew the extent of it. Now, of course, with Twitter and everything else out there, uh, you'd know it within 10 seconds exactly what took place. But not then. That was uh, unbelievably unusual. Uh, And, of course, I think they made the right decision. Faye Vincent was the commissioner at the time and decided to delay the World Series, not not to cancel it, delay it, uh, postpone it, and he did it for 10 days. And and back we came a week from the following Friday, and uh, the A's completed the sweep at that point. Yeah, that was pretty memorable. I also remember that you, um, you were at the Super Bowl right after the Gulf War uh, began, uh, the game that was played down in Florida, and uh, another night with a lot of flags flying. And uh, I remember you telling the story that before the game, a couple of days before the game, when you and Dan Deardorff and the crew were, were at, at, at the location in the press box setting up, that there was all sorts of hypersecurity around there because nobody knew exactly what was going to happen. There was a tremendous fear of right. terrorism. Uh, and they actually told you guys that, listen, we're going to have snipers across the other side of the stadium here. And just in case there's some kind of a hostile takeover of the broadcast booth and Boy, that must have been pretty chilling to hear that that was in the works. You know, it was. <laughs> there's some irony here, too. Um, so the night before the game, you know, I'm sure we're trying to prep for the game. We got the Super Bowl the next next afternoon. We had our production meeting. And around 8 o'clock on Saturday, and I'm, I'm working with uh, Dan Deardorff and with Frank Gifford, and our boss, Dennis Swanson, uh, comes to us and he says, hey, listen, uh, you got to meet in this room at the hotel. Uh, some SWAT team members are coming by, and they want to, you know, fill you guys in on on what might uh, take place tomorrow. So we go to the room. It's uh, you know eight thirty, quarter to nine. They must have five or six guys, SWAT team members there. And we are being told what we should do if somehow terrorists invade the broadcast booth and take us hostage. And I'm sitting there thinking, really? I mean. How are terrorists going to come into the broadcast booth and take us hostage? I mean, it was a little bit over the top. You know, you could see some sort of a, uh, you know, I don't want to say a bomb or something, but but some incendiary device outside the stadium or whatever. But, but how are terrorists going to come into the stadium and find the broadcast booth and then take us away? Yeah. So <laughs> I remember walking out. And Deardorff has this look on his face like, wow. And I looked over at Gifford and I said, Frank, you know what this is? Six guys who wanted to get into the game for free. And Frank looks at me and he goes, Frank looks at me and he goes, a thousand percent. Al, we've got so, just a – I'm sorry. No, no problem. We got just a, a couple minutes left, and uh, I got to get to uh, what what people here most recently remember, which was you and Chris Collinsworth calling the Eagles uh, in Super Bowl Fifty Two. 
Uh, it was a thrilling game by many accounts, the best Super Bowl ever. Certainly in this town, it's regarded as such. What's your takeaway from that game? What do you remember about that night? Well, so many things, of course, because, you know, I've been going to Philadelphia for so long and have done so many Eagle games, and I knew how much it meant to the town. Uh, and I used to say, you know, can, can you imagine the Lombardi Trophy being paraded down Broad Street? And it finally happened. But, of course, you had that fantastic play, of course, the Philly Special, which will live uh, forever in Philadelphia lore. Uh, I mean, the whole the whole season, you got – Wentz leading uh, the charge all the way through December, Foles coming in, the magical run, the craziness of that game. Uh, you got you know the two disputed plays where, during the regular season, they may not have been uh, touchdowns, but, but but in the Super Bowl, it's almost as if I don't want to say they changed the rules, but in effect, they did change the rules for that. Um, and I know you know Chris in particular took a ton of heat for that, but all he was doing was analyzing it in the way that those plays had been analyzed during the season. And even though nobody would come out and say it from the league standpoint, I think what the league was concerned about and has been is that you got all of these, you know, kind of, I don't want to call them ticky-tack, but if plays are like, is it a touchdown, is it not a touchdown, you can't parse it to the 537th degree. So, I think that was the first game in which, hey, you know what? That looks like a touchdown. We've got to call it a touchdown, and they did. And uh, uh, I think that, you know, Gene territory through the years, he, he didn't want to be the guy to say, uh-uh, that doesn't work. Anyway, so you had those two plays. Then you get the game ending. Don't forget Brady's throwing a Hail Mary that if it's caught, you know, maybe you don't win the Super Bowl. And then you've got um, a situation where I mean, everything that led into that game was exciting. And Brady throws for 500 yards. And then you've got Malcolm Butler, who was the big hero three years before that. What's he doing on the bench? Crying. So (laughs) I look back at that game, and there are a lot of things to think about when you think back to to that game. It was a hell of a game, though. There's no question about it. And uh, anytime, look, anytime you get a Super Bowl that goes down to the last play of the game, it's going to be memorable. And that will be one of the the great ones of all time. That will live forever. You got a last question, right? Uh, well, I guess the the only thing a lot of people, I'm sure you get asked this a lot, um, which is, it's obvious you really love what you're doing, uh, and the question comes up: How much longer do you keep wanting to doing it? And I, I saw I saw a quote that you had uh, about the fact that you still enjoy this so much, uh, and at this point in your life, you're actually savoring it because you know it's going to end at some point. But every assignment, every game, everything you do now. It kind of takes on an extra special meaning because, you know, it's you're closer to the end than the beginning. And so, I mean, if you got it kind of mapped out in your mind about how much longer you would like to do this, or you really just, as you said in this story, kind of taking it almost week to week and event by event. I would say for sure, you know, day by day. I also agree a thousand percent that I savor it now. Love it as much as ever. Maybe more because I know that, you know, I've had this run and the run doesn't last forever. Uh, I'm very fortunate in that I've had good health. Uh, I think the brain still works uh, well enough. I'm the first guy, if I can't do it the way I want to do it and and, and uh, people expect me to do it, I'm gone. I'll take myself out of there. Nobody's going to have to get a hook and pull me away. No, that won't, that won't happen. I'll know it. I'll sense it. But as long as the brain keeps working, 
Uh, I love the games. I've got a fantastic partner in Chris Collinsworth and Michelle Tafoya. Uh, I've worked with the same producer, Fred Gadelli, for 20 years, same director, Drew Estacott, for 21. Uh, we're a family. We're a family, and we we, we love this. We, we love each other's company. Uh, we realize how lucky and fortunate we are on every level to have the opportunity to do this and to, and to do this for so long. So I pretty much, uh, you know, I've had, you know, kind of discussions through the years with uh, Brady, Tom Brady, with Drew Brees, and, and I can sense the same thing with these guys. They're savoring it more now. I don't know, you know, Brees may be done. I don't know yet. Uh, Tom's not. And I think there's a, there's a feeling of, wow, you know, uh, this isn't going to go on forever, so just really soak it all in. Because when you're starting out or you're the middle of the career, you want to keep it going. You're a little nervous about other things that you're not nervous about right now. And uh, uh, you just want to rel- – I mean, can, can you imagine what this, what this feels like for Tom Brady? This is, the you know, the seventh time. But this may be as good as anything because nobody expected this. And it's, you know, obviously much closer to the end than the beginning or the middle for Tom. So anyway, I, I sort of have that same feeling that guys have toward the ends of their career, no matter what it's in, about, you know, this has been a good run. It's not going to last forever. So just soak in every morsel of it. And that's how I pretty much feel about it. I love to do what I do. I love going out. I love going the, to the games. The one thing I truly missed this year is no fans. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.